Travolting presents The Fraser's Edge. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering The Mummy. With special guest, Rebecca Johnson. Angst und Amoren. Angst und Amoren. <lacht> This movie's offensive enough to culture of many, many people. That's right, folks. This week we're covering the mummy. Hey, right. we're there, folks. This week we're gonna be diving into the lore of Anxunamun, a uh, famous uh, Egyptian princess of the 19th dynasty. Um, Seti the first somehow involved in this. Um, Wait, is that true? Yeah, no, she, then none of these people are real. I was gonna say there were people named Emotep, like it was a name. Sure, um, but I presume that when they made the Mummy in 1932 or whenever it was, that they just picked the name and it has stuck with every rebooted Mummy since then. Hmm. Yeah, uh, we're finally at the Mummy, and I yes. use the word finally because I think, as a post, th- I feel like we're reaching. Well, I don't know. You tell me, Jeff. I mean, this is absolutely the most important movie in Brendan Fraser's career. Yes. Bar none. Like, the, if you could you could say George... Like, he gets this movie because George of the Jungle is a success. Yeah. But in regards to establishing him as, you know, a box office sensation, a celebrity, you know, a cultural icon, someone who people nowadays are excited about, like, he is not welcomed back, like, with such welcome arms by the film community. No, they aren't as excited for him to come back. For the whale if it's not for the mummy yeah if he doesn't do the mummy and yet he still somehow finds his way to the whale people are like oh yeah that guy is pretty good in that john travolta's pulp fiction yes in a sense in a sense yeah like fraser doesn't really have like a slump period going into right this. yeah I, w- I would more so say because I, I would say george the jungle is travolta's greece yeah i would say george the mm. jungle is travolta's saturday night fever and really? this is his Greece. Interesting. Because Greece is the bigger success. Okay. Like, it's the movie... Like, people remember John Travolta for Greece more so than they remember him for Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, and in a way, Greece is more of your popcorn movie yeah. in comparison to the two. And Greece is like the, the pop culture, like, yeah. recognition of John Travolta. When people think of John Travolta, they think of Greece or they think of Pulp Fiction. Sorry, it was when you said... George of the Jungle is Travolta Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. That really sent me into a little <laughs> spiral. Like, whoa, okay. But, if, if you want to get really technical, like Gods and Monsters would somehow come into this, but yeah. we don't have time for that. But the, but this is like, you know, we're we're reaching the pinnacle. Yeah. We're reaching, I hate to call it a peak, but. I mean, this is in terms of like his mainstream success, this is his peak. Yeah. And it's not like anything that comes after is like a slump. This just happens to be one of the highest grossing movies of 1999. Um, it spawned Good year. two sequels, an animated series, a reboot. It's like still in you know repertory f- theaters nowadays. It still has merchandise lines. There's theme park rides with Brendan Fraser in them. Yeah, this just happens to be the movie that like he's gonna be remembered for. Yeah, people like when people think of Brendan Fraser, they're like the Mummy guy. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting to me career wise for him, especially around this time, is that around the turn of the century, um. A lot of discussion in Hollywood is about, like, you know, the old guard of actors, like, aging up. 
mm-hmm. like your your Robert De Niro's, your Pacino's, your Harrison Ford's, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. are all aging up. And Hollywood decides like the, the narrative is going to be who are like the heir apparents to these people. Like, you know, the score is the, the biggest example of that movie is greenlit because Edward Norton is in it. Robert De Niro is in it. Marlon Brando's in it. And the idea is it's three generations of Hollywood's greatest leading man. Edward Norton did not quite fully pan out as that movie had intended yeah. him to. Yeah. Uh, good actor, but um, that movie did not like fully succeed at its goal yeah. in that respect. But, you know, Edward Norton's, they're talking about he's the next De Niro. Um, if you want to talk about directors, M. Night Shyamalan's on the cover of Film Magazine with the new Spielberg. They're all like talking about the new guard coming in to relieve the God, old guard. A lot of things that Hollywood got. And this well. <laughs> movie is so specifically trying to establish Brendan Fraser as the heir to Harrison Ford. Yeah. To the extent he's wearing the same costume mm. as Indiana Jones. Okay, well, is this a, is this your take or is this... This is my take. Okay. And I think it has a lot of grounding. No, it totally does. Mm. I'm just curious yeah. if it was like... And like he's widely he, regarded as this. There are even some dialogues in this movie that are just Harrison Ford lines from other movies. Yeah. Like he refers to Rachel Weiss several times with like, listen here, sister. And that's Han Solo. Yeah. Interacting with Princess Leia. There's, you know, there's just a lot of Harrison Fordisms in how this character is written. And it's smart because it plays into Fraser's strengths. And it's, clear like why they saw him for this role and i think on fraser's part it's a conscientious yeah uh portrayal yeah fraser has a deeper voice in this yes you know like it is not his normal voice and i think but people see this movie as his movie yeah and i'm i kind of like throughout us talking about multiple brendan fraser movies and building up to the mummy i've realized that like it's almost built this performance even better than what i thought it was before yeah because if you had known nothing about Brendan Fraser, only about the mummy, it's like, oh yeah, like he's just playing like a really hip macho action guy. But when you really look at his repertoire and what yeah. he's done and what he's capable of, and then what he does in this one, yeah. he, he's doing a voice. He's got like very different mannerisms than what he's like mm-hmm. been showing. Because this is not George of the Jungle, uh, Dudley Do. Like we're gonna cover Dudley Do right next week. Yeah, but, what a great movie. Um, yeah, uh, Ernestino Man. This is not like. The, he's always been like the dumb goof, yeah. the dumb happy goof, and this is not the dumb happy goof. Yes, there's there's elements of that, but it's in the same way. It's a very similar character to Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones works because he has a sense of humor, right? If Indiana Jones doesn't have a sense of humor, that movie doesn't work. Yeah, there, but he's, there's something like this movie on this rewatch that we did before the podcast. This actually was way more of a shoot 'em up movie than i remember mm-hmm. honestly like i remember brendan fraser having a lot more charisma being a lot more romantic yeah and i do kind of feel like their relationship is kind of shoehorned because she's the lead he's the guy main guy hero and i just like i'm just like regardless of him like constantly saving her life i don't know what personality rick o'connell gives you know, he's almost just as shallow as the other American characters in the movie, in my I'll, opinion. I'll tell you what um, charisma or the what he's bringing to the table, and it's uh, a nice set of abs, a good voice, 
some nice sweat on the face. And, and that's pretty much what yeah. I'm saying. And the hair. Yeah, the, the main reason that it's important for me that Becca be on this episode is so that this does not turn into another still breathing. Uh, because, you know, <laughs> we're we're on the level there. We are on the level there. Yeah, I could I could I could go off on the the level of attractiveness in this movie. It's maybe so the hottest movie I. ever made. But so I also like watching this movie though, it I'd say Brendan Fraser is only one side of the coin of this movie's mm-hmm. success. Yeah. And the other side is absolutely Rachel Weiss. Mm-hmm. Which I think gets overshadowed looking back now. Yeah. Yeah. That people don't forget that Rachel Weiss is in this movie. But they don't forget how important she is to this movie. Mm-hmm. R- Rachel Weiss is uh, Evie is the main character of this movie. Yes, uh, hands down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This like Rick O'Connell is you know the exciting action star, but it's like for a, an example of a recent movie like Your Glass Onions or Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Those movies like um, Ana de Armas and Janelle Monae are the main characters of those movies. Yeah, Benoit Blanc is just the character that brings you into the plot. In the same way, Evie is the main character of this movie. Rick O'Connell is just like the the propelling element, which is where I think the ending sort of struggles a little bit. Interesting, because it turns Rachel Vice into just the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's taken out of the. She's taken out of it, and she's taken. Yeah. A, she's taken, and she's taken out of any ur- agency. Mm-hmm. She's chained up like mm-hmm. most of the ending. She, I mean, she's while simultaneously like not to get right into the ending, but as she's fighting a mummy, she's helping Jonathan recite the like incantation to take over the soldiers. Yeah. Like she's fighting this battle, dude. And then we just cut to Brendan Fraser, just swinging a sword around with a bunch oh. of CGI mummies. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not doing anything. And I'm also not even going to die on that hill. You know, like it's, it's just funny to me that she's tied up in the quote unquote damsel in distress position. Yeah. And she's solving everything. She's yeah. still, mm-hmm. She still has a hand in the game. Yeah. Right. And that's her- where I think we, when we talk about the Mummy Returns, um, does, a, do, does a little bit of contrition for. Yeah. A little bit. It makes her a little... Ha- like, she comes back at the end of that movie with being... Yeah. She gets more action. She gets more too. agency and action. Mm-hmm. It's the... the God, what's Keira Knightley's... Elizabeth Swan. Yeah. yeah. Syndrome, yeah. where in the first yeah. Pirates, Elizabeth Swan yeah. is just the damsel in distress. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when she does take part in the action, it's played as a joke. Uh, she becomes Pirate King. And by the time we get to the second one, Third. she gets stuff to do. Yeah. In terms oh, of the action. Yeah, yeah. Like the first one at the end, when Elizabeth Swan takes part in the action, it's like it's played as a joke. Like when she sails out to the ship. Try and... wearing a corset. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Takes a giant oar. Yeah. Swipes Boom. It across. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, but I agree though. In Dead Man's Chest, like she is. Yeah. She is her own person doing her yeah. own thing by her own devices and her own plan. Yes. Um, I I think this the central relationship of this movie, the two characters, the R, because this movie is very indebted to Indiana Jones, specifically yeah. Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the like. When Becca and I watched this earlier today, like she had pointed out how funny, like or like the the bit where anytime they open like a book or something, like there's the a wind, wind gust, yeah. Oh, and eventually, so... eventually, Rick O'Connell, like even like that happens a lot around here, <laughs> and yeah. like that's definitely playing off the fact that scene in Indiana Jones where that happens, yeah, because mm. that one scene where like the guy's reading the the staff of Ra, mm. and he's like, and take one step back to uh, respect the Hebrew God who's arc this is and the wind slips through and Indy and yeah. Sala have a little interaction. Yeah. And like this movie is 
just as much an homage and a lo- like a loving homage to that style of movie. Yeah. Like the adventure serials of the 30s that inspired Indiana Jones, that inspired this. Yeah. It's a loving homage to that. As much as it is just like having fun kind of poking at it. Yeah. yeah I honestly remembered this movie holding its own a little bit more than I actually, you know, mm-hmm. watched, you know, right before the podcast. I remember this movie having a lot more personality mm-hmm. than it does because I do think it is kind of just a written love letter. It kind of just plays beat by beat. It's a very easy movie. Mm-hmm. I always I always just remembered it being a lot smarter than it was. I think that this movie is not to like discredit yeah. it cuz I still yeah. enjoy it a lot, but I think it doesn't doesn't have the meat on the bones mm-hmm. as much as I remember it having. I was recently like um I came across this like recent th- like film theory recently called essentialism. Mm-hmm. And it's based on like a food theory where it's like every food should taste like itself. Like if you have like if you make a tomato dish, you can make it the best tomato dish ever, but it should, it should still taste like a tomato. Like you shouldn't make food taste like something else. Yeah. And it was described as movies like it was definitely it was being used specifically to describe Avatar recently. <laughs> but it's like when you make a movie, you just just keep it at its like Sometimes if you're an essentialist, you keep it at its baseline level and you just do that very well. Mm-hmm. Like you don't try and add to it. You don't try and make it more complex than it is. You just do its baseline accomplishments very well. And I think that's kind of what this movie is. And this movie is yeah. good at that. Yes. It's good yeah. at that. Yeah. And that kind of, like just read that. It's an, that was a, an article that I read recently. And it kind of like changed how I view some of these movies in that. Yes, maybe it isn't groundbreaking. But if it's doing the, I don't want to say the generic thing, but the same thing very well, mm-hmm. is that like worthy of accomplishment? Like, is that worthy of praise? It or has is a it... timeless nature to yeah. it. Yeah. So I think that that's just an interesting idea when it, it comes to this. In like a very, very weak sense, it's not really related, but a little bit related that a film school professor once yeah. told me, it's like when you make films, you know, you of course want to try to make them like, ahead of their time so they're like a little groundbreaking yeah. but don't make them so far ahead of their time and so groundbreaking that you're dead by the time they're appreciated yeah oh so i i i heard that i'm like okay and don't van like, gogh yourself right yeah don't van gogh yourself yeah uh so there's a little bit of truth to that i feel like mm-hmm. where it's like yeah like i you know you can say all you want it's like oh it's new it's never been done before yeah. it's like that's great and maybe it will be eventually yeah. appreciated, but you'll probably be dead yeah. by the time that it is. Because we could even talk about the effects of the movie, which yeah. haven't aged super well. Yeah. But in the same year, 99 was an insane year mm. for movies. Yeah. And there were movies doing very similar, like skeleton armies. I'm talking Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, like like they were doing it way better mm-hmm. yeah. than, than The Mummy. Yeah. You know, so the movie wasn't even trying to be groundbreaking in context of a very good year of movies. It's probably pretty bottom tier for that in that regard. Mm. It's not something I'm going to die on, but like, yeah, yeah. It's amazing to me that 99 is like, I got to be very careful with my words here. Like, but 99 to me feels like it's the experimental. It's like the, okay, CGI has been something we've been like hiding behind like the curtain a little bit toying with and there's been some ballsy you know producers and directors who are like ahead of its time trying to use cgi and it not working james but, cameron in the abyss right 
when was the, the abyss? abyss is 80 88 89 i think oh am i thinking of i'm thinking of the water effects is that the abyss yes that's the first time they do like the free-flowing water effect in a oh, movie man. i thought that was mid 90s i'm sorry yeah. but like but to that point it's like um but then 99 is when like directors with- who really oh. looked at it and thought what what where can CGI be presentable on screen? Ninety mm-hmm. nine's like three titles that prove your point. Well, let me let me hold yeah. up. Let me finish it and then yeah. And yes. so like, but ninety nine's the year where it's like okay, like directors who are really studying this new form of art are like okay, I feel like we can show it on screen now. And that year's ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me how in just three years time, how once that threshold's been crossed, yeah. how. Then you get Lord of the Rings, the fir- the the uh, next prequels, Harry Potter, yeah. and all of those. It's like once they've crossed the threshold of 99, taking that, I say chance, but again, it's like there have been CGI used pre-99, but maybe this is where your three films prove my point. But like, that's where the handful of directors and producers are like, okay, I think this is where it can be presented on screen now. Let's yeah. try it. There's basically like, <clears throat> sorry, there's like, Three this year, three movies, but in like the mid '90s, CGI is basically only things that like you know the big directors are working with. Yeah, like you have the Jurassic Park movies that come out in the mid '90s. Yeah, um, Independence Day, Zemeckis does Contact. Yeah, now, these are all the movies where it's like we're starting to spice this up for the audience. Yeah, and then '99, the three movies that I was gonna say that come out in 1999 that burst the dam for CGI: The Phantom Menace. The Matrix, The Mummy. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the Matrix changes effects. People, it change, The Matrix changes how people think about effects. Mm-hmm. The Phantom Menace changes how people do effects. Yeah. Hmm. And The Mummy changes how like audiences perceive. Yeah, availability. Yeah. Because yeah. after The Matrix, people are like, oh, effects can be a storytelling tool. Yeah. Like, it's not just something you use out of necessity because you can't create the star feel from contact with, like, practical effects. Yeah. It's like, The Matrix is, it's a storytelling tool. The Phantom Menace proved it could be part of your world. Yeah. And then The Mummy proved that not Steven Spielberg and Zemeckis aren't the only directors yeah. using it. or George Lucas. Or George Lucas. Because, like, The Phantom Menace just, whatever you think about that movie, it changes how digital cinema and cgi are done for all time yeah well if you also think about the og mummy yeah like the puppet likely (laughs) i don't i don't i think i've seen stills i haven't seen much from this movie like seeing those mummies move in like realistic you know realistic quotations uh ways um is is somebody who's seen the original whatever like that's a step up and i think an appeal Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. all the re- reiterations of Godzilla getting better and better since the first one is an appeal for people to see like a bigger, scary or more mm-hmm. realistic Godzilla. I think it's kind of same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not without the faults of the immediate aftermath, which is where when 99 happened, and then there were other directors like, like, oh, that means I can do it, too. Yeah. And then we get the mummy returns. Yeah. The <laughs> that's when we get Dwayne. Matrix reloaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, wait, that's let's, where, let's, let's that's back off about get, reloaded all right that's where we get but you get what i'm saying it's like there you know there was like the three year post 99 interval where everyone's like we can do cgi now and you get some of the most grotesque creations yeah in modern history right that's like the immediate aftermath and then you get 
a few a couple extra years yeah. later and that's where like you know effects from lord of the rings still hold up to this yeah. day yeah lord of the rings holds up the prequels yeah i'd say specifically revenge of the sith holds up yeah um the mid 2000s superhero movies generally hold up yeah um and then of course 2009 avatar hits and things change up again yeah um, but it is interesting to talk about like how CGI evolves as a storytelling tool the through 99. The philosophy of it is yeah. very fascinating. And you're yeah. right. It really was just a floodgate that opened yeah. in 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, the philosophy of it. It's very cool. Yeah. And like just that this movie that we get to cover, in addition to like how it pertains to Fraser and whatnot, that it like has this you know spot in history. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. It's nice that we get to talk about these things. And I mentioned The Mummy Returns, and I know everyone's probably thinking that I'm referencing the Scorpion King thing, but I'm actually not. I'm actually referring to all the CGI sets mm-hmm. and how uh, apparent it is. Yeah, th- this movie has, uh, the first Mummy has a lot of healthy set deck. Yes, it does. Like a real hearty yeah. mix, yeah. real hearty right. supply. And <laughs> how like they don't they don't try to go too overboard with the decay of the mummy that all the stages of the regeneration are like enough to like not yeah. let you go completely out of whack. Whereas mummy returns, we're going to talk about this when we cover it. Yeah. But the first time you regenerates, he, do you remember like what he looked yes. like and how horrible it was? I'm having a hard yeah. time remembering. It's the train scene when like they con the three guys to open the box and then Emotep shows up and he's upside down and he like sucks the dude dry. And he's like, yeah. he's got skin, but it's like, a very very thin layer of skin so you see like skeletal structures underneath it but it does not look good his eyeballs are protruding huh. so not good it's not good I'll at all watch it <laughs> yeah but that's what i mean like the immediately what came out is like oh like 99 opened the door now we can do it all cgi it's like wait a minute guys wait a minute yeah. guys that was avatar avatar was like everything can be cgi yes everything yes and you won't notice until you notice mm-hmm. which is where we're at where now. the yeah where the next year like where the volume isn't enough. Yes. Think about that. Think about that. Oh, I'm 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 aware. The volume isn't enough. Yeah. The vo- that's why we have the cheap looking Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Mm-hmm. You stole the words out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. That's why Andor looks like a movie cuz they built real sets and use CGI when they needed to for effect. But we thought Mandalorian looked amazing. The first season especially looks really good. Well, they did the same thing. Season the, one Mando is Obi-Wan. What's different? Um, the people doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the philosophy. Yeah. Because Mandalorian season one is shot by Greg Frazier for three episodes. Yep. Who is one of the cinematography designers of the volume. Like He contributed deeply to that. He uses in all of his movies. The best use of the volume was the Batman. Um, and then his first AC takes over as the DP for the rest of the Mandalorian with the same sensibilities. Obi-Wan Kenobi, they shot it like a normal TV show. Using, um, the, using the volume. The volume and it's like, okay, it looks like there's a flat wall behind him. <laughs> like, what's going on here, guys? A flat wall with shining lights. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That fascinates me a lot. Yes. How it's like this groundbreaking technology and now... And then how like Jurassic Park, you know still to this day holds up but then you watch the dinosaur prequel the prelude scene in transformer days of extinction and the dinosaurs mm-hmm. are absolutely garbage yes it fascinates me so much fascinates me mm. it's the it's spielberg's intelligence is how he usually gets away with 
a lot of this stuff. The perception of Spielberg's intelligence yeah. is how he like gets he, away with he it. He uses the CGI. He has it. He keeps it dark for the most part. He cuts to prosthetics and animatronics when you go close. Like he knows how to use real things to trick you into thinking the fake thing is real. One more comparison, and I I, I swear I'm gonna stop talking yeah. about the CGI thing, but. The Battle of Helm's Deep versus the Long Night in Game of Thrones, which mm-hmm. I know is not a CGI conversation. It's kind of like a lighting conversation, yeah. but in the sort of the same vein of like we had night battle scenes look great. Oh, and now the long night. It's like mm. my TV, what? our TV dims because it doesn't think anything is on the screen. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> setting. We hate about it. But Game yeah. of Thrones. And- the long night looks pretty good if you have a 4k tv with a 4k disc and blackout curtains yeah. but you need all those specificities i want to go back and this actually is probably a decent segue into some of the cinematography into this yes. this movie is yes. like i want to go back to that silverly blue moonlight mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. get at helm's deep yeah like yeah, and that a lot of these action movies really like price the caribbean yeah. does it well Lord of the Rings does it really yeah. well. And for some reason, The Mummy, not so much. In fact, they shoot in daylight almost predominantly in this yeah. movie. Unless they're in a tomb. Oh my God, we got to talk about that. In the day for night. It's like... <laughs> the day for night stuff. Yeah. Look, Mad Max Fury Road is one of the great movies of the past decade. It also has the worst example of day for night I've ever seen. Okay, life. okay, okay, okay. Subjective. Mm-hmm. All right. I think it's a very stylistic move. I do not hate it. Mm-hmm. I do want to see the black and white cut of this movie eventually and see if it I, stands out. My favorite um, use of Day for Night in The Mummy was, and I say favorite, like it was the most atrocious, Yeah, was when the sunrise of Hamanoptera because oh my God, yeah. they are clearly shooting that morning scene yeah. in the middle of the day, but with a pinkish hue to it. <laughs> yeah, the sky is definitely comped. <laughs> well, and you see like the, the, the American cowboys with their hats, the shadows are like directly underneath their yeah. faces. Mm-hmm. If it was sunset, either it'd be full shadow or full light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on top of that, when it's like they initiate the chase to Hamanoptera, it's all of a sudden midday. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? They needed to reference Tatooine for that more. Yeah. I can only guess the main reason that, you know, Mad Max and this did day for night is because it's probably very difficult to shoot in the desert at night. In Morocco, yeah. Because it probably, like, it drops down, like, negative 20 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, like, you're just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, the infrastructure. hours from civilization. Yeah, the infrastructure's got to be borderline impossible to shoot there at night. I'm thinking, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's a whole production alone to prep the set to mm-hmm. be able to, to be shootable at night probably mm-hmm. so a bad mm. day for night doesn't really take me out of it too much i mean i've seen some pretty bad ones money plane has some of the most atrocious with with some proper coloring and at least a little bit of like diffusion work on set like a little bit of practical mm-hmm. like just shifting the the color to blue isn't gonna do much nope. and this movie kind of does that yep. oh yeah yeah. Multiple on, times. Yeah, I would say the first occasion where Evie is like falling asleep on the camel mm-hmm. um, was pretty much, I think, the first uh, piece of day for night. And then when the Fez wearing. The professor. Yeah, the professor. Looked. He's running around with the Book of the Damned. And I then think. Emotep turns up and looks at the heroes. Yeah, well, actually, that was a fun shot because he's like going down this dark corridor. It's day for night. We'll forgive him. And then it come, they zoom into his eyes, and it's mm-hmm. just his eyes. And it feels like this kind of classic Hollywood movie. And he moves out of frame, and Emotep is then right behind him yeah. in his eye, 
is revealed with like a little cloak or whatever. I'm like, oh, this is nice. If yeah. only they weren't butchering it with Dave and I right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was like, that was actually some decent camera work for, for this movie because I don't love, I don't love the way this movie looks. Well, not in lighting per se. Yeah. But I think some of the camera work is boring. I want to talk about the transitions when we get to it because the, the first half, the first half, in my opinion, transition wise, amazing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a threshold and I think it's the library scene. Yes, it is the library scene because it's after the library, they discover the map and all that stuff. And then they talk to the main librarian guy and he's like, you'll never, it's a, it's a wasteful thing. You'll never go find this Hamanoptra place, blah, 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 blah. The map. And then cut to prison. But the cuts of prison is like every transition prior to that has been like some sort of like cross fade, match cut, wipe mm-hmm. thing. It's always been like sort of flowing into another. And the when it's like literally it's like you'll never the map's been burned. You'll never find the city. Men have wasted their lives, blah, blah, blah. Cut to prison. And it's just like so like, oh, OK. Well, to play devil's advocate, the first part of the movie is largely them recalling the events of the past. And yeah. they have to. And they do it in kind of like a montage yeah. a little bit. Right. So even the title sequence, or <laughs> Jeff, I think I even uh, was just like, they have the universal globe and then the globe turns into a sun and then they pan down and it's Giza. It's, it's mm-hmm. Egypt in like 322 BC or what yeah. have you. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, they missed an opportunity to just zoom all the way into the universal globe into the Giza. Right. No, but I, I, I guess I'm a little... I am not too disturbed about um, creative transitioning because I I see that they I see what you're saying because they establish it in those yeah. first few minutes. But I think post uh, credit sequence, mm-hmm. it kind of just uh, it kind of goes into movie mode. You know what I've been kind of distressed about this year? What? Um, if we're talking about like opening transition from like the studio logo to the movie, mm-hmm. all four Indiana Jones movies yeah. have all started with the Paramount logo of the mountain. Yeah. And then the mountain fades into a real mountain or something of mountainous shape. Yeah. The first movie is like the mountain in Peru. They scout. They scouted for the first Indiana Jones for months to find a mountain that resembled the Paramount Mountain. Yeah. And then we're like, we're shooting right there just for that transition. I think that's fun. But all four of those movies do it. And then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Well, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull does it too, except it's like a little... Like, it's a molehill. Yeah, it's a molehill. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is a Disney movie. It is not a Paramount movie. Oh. They will not be able to do the Paramount transition. Wow. They're not going to have the castle at the beginning. They said that, but they won't be able to do the Paramount mountain. Wow. So, I don't know. I, was just, I didn't think about that. That's a what little if, distressing. What if it was the castle, but they jungle booked it? <laughs> the Favreau jungle book yeah. where it was like a decrepit castle yeah. and it like zooms into it or yeah. whatever. What if it was just like, a, I don't know, like a yeah. decrepit ruin and you yeah. zoom in through a window and it's Indiana Jones with a lantern going up the steps. <laughs> that like, was the start he, of find, the- he finds Mickey Mouse's mummified <laughs> skeleton. That- oh my God. <laughs> Gorge! <laughs> That's goofy. <laughs> Release me from this living death. <laughs> Oh my god. I've been cursed by the book of the dead. Get me out of here. Gorsh, I've been mummified. I don't fucking know. Um, well, do we want to dive into the pretext of this movie? A little bit of how it got made. We haven't made. even done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we should. Um, so this movie comes out of the long you know, efforts to reboot The Mummy. The Mummy, 1932. Mm. Boris Karloff is Emotep. 
Um, and he's chasing some girl in a museum. Yeah. That's the movie. I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I've been led to believe that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who, our previous guest, Dave, who was on Gods and Monsters, has yeah. seen every Universal Monster movie, says the mummies are the worst ones. I kind of really? want to do that. Watch all the Universal movies. Yeah, they're, like, they're good. Like, the little bits I've seen, they're good. Yeah. Um, it Like he said, it does end with Dracula, like... And uh, Wolfman, like, RKOing uh, him. Yeah, Wolfman, RK... No, Dracula RKOs Wolfman off a cliff, and that's the end of him because they never made a sequel. Uh, <laughs> and it's like in an Abbott and Costello movie. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> We're like, the Wolfman... It sounds like my wife. <laughs> I guess I don't know what jokes they're making. Jesus. <laughs> it sounds like something they'd say. Yeah. Um, but they kept trying to reboot The Mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would just go from director to director. I'm going to do a quick speed round of how many people attempted to do this. Um, who you, I'm going to only use names you'd recognize. George A. Romero. Um, Clive Barker. Mick Garris. Joe Dante. John Sales. Daniel D. Lewis playing the mummy. <laughs> oh. George Romero again. Uh, Mick Garris again. Wes Craven. Mm. Um, and that's when it gets to Stephen Summers. Who, and how? It's basically they wanted to make a like a horror movie, and Universal said we'll reboot the mummy, but it has to cost less than ten million dollars, no more than that. And so that rotating, you know wave of horror guys like your Wes Cravens and your Romero's and Clive Barker's come in and they offer their pitches, but nothing's ever quite clicking. Um, what finally clicks is Steven Summers hears about this and he like kind of makes a pitch. He has it like written away. He wants to make an Indiana Jones style adventure with the concept where the mummy is like the villain that they're chasing and is chasing after them. And they initially are like, well, we're not interested in that pitch right now with that much money involved in it. Mm-hmm. What happens is, hilariously, Babe Pig in the City comes out and flops. Universal desperately needs a hit. <laughs> and so they're looking for what do we have that we could put into production right now. And Stephen Summers is like, my pitch for The Mummy still stands. I would do it right now. And they're like, okay, you can go make your mummy movie. And that's how this movie gets greenlit, because Babe Pig in the City fails. <laughs> I'll do, pig. You can. (laughs) That'll do. So you can thank George Miller's insane acid trip of a movie for this. And what was the budget for the mummy? Uh, The mummy ends up costing eighty million. It makes sense. Yeah. So it costs a lot of money, but they're willing to pay it at this point because they need a hit. I was gonna say the willingness make like the need for a hit makes sense because like you're trusting that to Steve Summers, who I'm looking at his IMDb right now for directing, and it's. 1989, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, <laughs> a different one. Yeah, different one. <laughs> 1993, Adventures of Huck Finn. Uh, the 1994, one of my favorite classics, The Jungle Book. <laughs> the live-action Jungle Book. The live-action Jungle Book from 94. Uh, Deep Rising, uh, which is a movie I've never heard of. Uh, it's a flop. And Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like all four of the movies before The Mummy was a flop mm-hmm. that he did. It's just like it all. It's like a stars align moment for this movie to happen. Yeah, and you know, like Fraser, obviously, like he just um, pops off. Fraser um, seems like such a surefire choice. He's me. a surefire choice, yeah. but he's not expensive because yeah. they originally re- uh, offered this to Tom Cruise, oh. and he said no. I feel like every movie was offered to Tom Cruise, but it is very funny that Tom Cruise regrets saying no to this. Because he says yes. And so later 20 years on. later, he does say yes. 
So I think it's it's one of those things that just like Hollywood's funny. It's like fun to just kind of watch Hollywood. Like think of Hollywood as like a history. Yeah. And like how like Tom Cruise saying no and regretting the decision in 1997 results in him being in the fucking dark universe movie in 2017. (laughs) Like 10 years later. Yeah. 20. 20 years later. Um, But it's offered to a lot of the guys like, you know, Brad Pitt and Matt Damon. Um, But what is appealing about Fraser is that he is affordable. Yeah. Because he just came out of George of the Jungle. They were in... uh, Here's the exact wording. Fraser's turn in George bolstered his perceived star power, yet he remained far cheaper than most other actors working. Wow. Um, Fraser also said about his character, what appealed to him is that he doesn't take himself too seriously, otherwise the audience can't go on the journey with him. Which is what I think is, we've talked about as Fraser's like secret sauce. Yeah. Is he's an egoless actor. He's willing to be the punchline as yeah. much as he's willing to be the one throwing the punch. Yeah. This is uh, a very like fulfilling movie for me. Yes. For in terms of Fraser's career. Yes. Because we spent a lot of time before this movie of Fraser being the butt of a lot of jokes. I mean, still for a lot of times being like the leading man and saving the day and all that stuff. But like again, I go to the dumb goof. But man, when he has that sword and he is just cutting fucking mummies down left and right, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's not the dumb goofy guy anymore. Yeah. He's no. Ricochet O'Connell. Yeah. He's the he's a charmer. Yes, I was like, fucking earn that man. Mm-hmm. And he, but he still gets to kind of be goofy. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's like he did his waiting 12 yes. years of it <laughs> in dumb, goofy Azkaban. <laughs> and now he gets to put on the tight fitting shirt, <laughs> flex the muscles a little bit mm. and be like, I'm Rick. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, me. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is short for Richard O'Connell, by the way. Yes. It's Richard. It's Richard O'Connell. Richard O'Connell. Did the, at any point in this movie say Ricochet O'Connell? Because you say this a lot. Winston. Winston, Winston calls says him Rick, okay. Ricochet O'Connell. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking Rick O'Shea O'Connell. Like his middle name is O'Shea. O'Shea. Oh my God. If your last name is O'Shea, if you don't name your kid Rick, like what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> it's like anybody Rick with O'Shea? The... <sighs> Here. <laughs> it's like anybody with the last name Hawkins or Hawking. You're, you should name your first like mm-hmm. name Tom or Tommy so you can be Tom and yeah. the middle name like some A like Andrew Thomas so Tommy Hawk. Andrew Hawkins because you're Tomahawk yeah I mean every time I'm just like name your kid Tom just do it <laughs> give them an A <laughs> have the middle name be Andrew or some A mm-hmm. shit some shit like that yeah Um, and so like this movie does get it gets funded because of that babe pig in the city escapade <laughs> Um, Where is Rachel Weiss in her career at this point in time? Rachel Weiss is, she would be, she's like 27 at the time this movie was oh, made. Yeah. This is pre, uh, twice nominated, once winning, Oscar winning Rachel Weiss. Yes. This is, I would say, her, this is her big break. Yeah. Uh, I was just confirming that. Yeah, she she's in a lot of like smaller things before this, but this is her first big movie, and it's what puts her on the map and leads to her getting um, bigger movies in the immediate years. Sorry, I would just I started at the top of Rachel Weisz's IMDb filmography, scrolled down, and it stopped. And the first thing I saw was that she voiced Safira in Aragon yeah. in two thousand six. Yeah, dude. 
What the yeah, fuck? <laughs> the people, Safira. The people, Safira. <laughs> no, uh, it's so good. Yeah. Aragon. But yeah, it sounds about right that I'm looking at all the movies she had done beforehand, yeah. and a lot and then, of it's a TV movie, or if it is a movie, it's junior executive, prostitute isn't one of them, uh, hairdresser, and then, yeah, mummy, where yeah. she gets a full first and last name. Yes. It's a small um, it's a small career prior to that, and then The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. She goes on to About a Boy, gets her Oscar nomination for The Constant Gardener. She's in Constantine. Good um, movie. Fred Claus, everyone's favorite. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, she's great in The Brothers Bloom, uh, if you guys have seen that movie. Mm-mm. It's a Ryan Johnson movie. It's tremendously sad, but she is exceptional in it. Hmm. Um, but, you know, Rachel Weisz, and this movie starts her off. Yeah. Um, and then they go on and they cast um, John Hanna as Jonathan, who is, which is was funny to him. He did not understand why he was cast in this movie because he'd never done a comedy in his life. <laughs> he was like, oh, really? He's a serious dramatic actor. Oh, shit. <laughs> For some reason, they're like, you have a funny face. John Hanna, who is in The Last of Us. Yeah. He is in The Last of Us. I was just telling Jeff how it was funny when we watched the first episode of The Last of Us, and I'm like, aren't we about to watch The Mummy in about a week? And this is then the ne- the only other time I've ever seen this man outside of The Mummy. And, That's strange. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And then Arnold. V- v- yes. V- so they decide. Vosloo? They're like, we're going to cast the ancient Egyptian mummy, the high priest of uh, ancient Egypt. Who should we cast for this role? Who fits that bill? Ancient Egyptian. And they're like. What about this Dutch-German guy from South Africa? And they're like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thus ensues probably the biggest whitewashed. Well, not the biggest whitewashed movie. There's definitely worse. Like, he, he decidedly looks very German. <laughs> like, it's not just like, it's not a for debate. He looks very German in this movie. And I get, and he is from South Africa. He was born and raised there. Um, but he decidedly does not look... Egyptian. Well, it's not the fact that he doesn't look Egyptian. It's the fact that he's not Egyptian. Yeah, he's not Egyptian. Yeah. But, like, it's not even, like, a pass. Like, they don't even, make like, really do much to try and do it. I mean, yeah. And then the only recognizable thing I can see that he was in afterwards is 2009 G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Yeah, he he, um, teams back up with uh, Stephen Summers for G.I. Joe. Oh, a movie that we will cover down the line. And then comes back in G.I. Joe Retaliation. Teams back up with Stephen Thomas for Odd Thomas. You like, yeah, I think this guy. I, I He's know. known for this and this alone. Yeah. Like, this is Arnold Vuzlu's big movie. And, like, some people be like, well, that sucks. He never wrote it. But I'm like, you know, he get, he's known for playing the mummy. Like most yeah. most of us are never gonna get to play the lead monster in a big movie and be known for that, so you know, good for this guy, you know. We're gonna cover it, uh, but it's one of my favorite lines that transcends the movie itself, which is "Mummy: The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor," mm-hmm. where Rick O'Connell's talking to his son. And it's like, "I fought more mummies in my day than you have," and he's like, "You fought one mummy, Dad," and he's like, "Yeah, same mummy." 
twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that's great. <laughs> to be fair, he fought at minimum twelve to fourteen mummies at the end of this movie. Right, there's, there was quite a bit. There, yeah. There's like, it's a sign, it's a, it's a robust amount of mummies <laughs> that are in this movie. If in D and D culture, if Arnold Vosloo is like the troll mummy, then he fights a lot of goblin mummies. Yeah, like you know, this movie should be called um, the Mummies because there are multiple. What if that was the prequel name? The Mummy, and then the sequel is The Mummy. What if they hired James Cameron to come in to pitch the sequel to this movie? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and it's The Mummy, and then he looks like he did for Alien. You know, he looks at the room, and then he draws a little S. Looks. Goes back. Two dollar signs through it. <laughs> the movie's greenlit right there. That's the, that's the, uh, the alleged true story of how James Cameron pitched Aliens. Then he... Oh. Well, then he would sit on the script for 13 years, and then after 13 years, be like, I got it, guys. Let's bring back Emotep a third time. Again. Emoteps. Mic drop. There's, there's two of them this time. Yes. <laughs> Emotep. He splits himself in half with there's two of them, but like they're bouncing around. It's just one leg. Oh, my God. Well, okay. I, I don't know. Are we going to cover the movie top to bottom or are we just going to? I think we will. I just want to quickly finish uh, the actual production of this movie because it is worthy of uh, celebrating the crew of this movie. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, oh, this is filmed God. in the desert. All of the um, the exterior sets and locations are all desert. Uh, Hamanoptera is entirely built in the desert. That's not a stage. Well, wow. the, in, the interior portions are a stage. Yeah. yeah, but like the exterior portions, it's not like they just filled in a sandy lot on a stage. That's actually they built that on a rocky outcropping in the desert in Morocco, outside of the small town of um, Urfud. Morocco seems to play, be the international desert spot for movies. It's because they have a significantly more pol- uh, stable political system. Yeah than a lot of other countries around them. Like, they didn't film this movie in Egypt because the country was in a uh, political crisis. Yeah. And so it just was not safe to film in Egypt. Right. Uh, Morocco, you know, it's had its problems, and it will. But it's generally a little more stable for a film crew to be able to get in there. Yeah. Um, But it was like a two-hour trek to get out to the desert every day. Oh, my God. Um, The crew had to drink specific drinks to stay hydrated that a medical team had to make just because it was, like, so oppressively hot in the desert water just wasn't enough yeah like like it, you could drink water and it would like work but to stay like physically active you're working in the desert it's like specific drinks for everyone Almighty. um they would be beset by sandstorms multiple times a week um there were bugs that would attack <laughs> it was like it was a whole process filming in the desert for this movie Jeez, oh please. um and then eventually they did finish filming this movie in uh stages in london yeah. Which I'm sure the crew was very happy to get to. Oh, my gosh. Um, after, you know, being in the desert. But that's... Uh, Sand is the number one camera killer. Yeah. Probably went through seven million cameras if on If you this can movie. see the beach, you're on the beach. Yeah. Cover up. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. The cast members <laughs> had kidnapping insurance education. taken out. <laughs> kidnapping insurance? Oh, uh, yeah. All the cast members had kidnapping insurance for this movie. <laughs> Huh. Okay. I wonder if there was an, a, sa- a similar Raiders of the Lost Ark food poisoning story. Mm-hmm. Where, like everybody got food poisoning yeah, except everyone's... for Steven Sommers. <laughs> <laughs> They're all taken. Uh, they all had diarrhea. It was disastrous. Yeah. Very funny. The Pimos. 
<laughs> Poor transpo. How do you bring like? I mean, I'm imagining there's got to be some kind of like road infrastructure to get to the set. Like I know we talked about it being a two hour trek, but it's not a two hour trek through just dunes. <laughs> what that would man, that would like. Suck. Where are your bathrooms? <laughs> mm. where, where are your trucks? <laughs> Where's anything? I was I read a book about the making of Mad Max Fury Road, and they described how it was like a months long process, mm. like prior to the movie, just establishing a road system. Yeah, like they had to build the roads. Yeah, right. To get an hour out into the desert where they were filming. And then build essentially a city that would have like your base camp, a giant tent for catering, all that stuff. Do you hear that film students? I just, okay. Like when you're writing your scripts and you write desert, just fuck off with that. (laughs) Just just listen, we get it. The film professors are very hard and they're, they, they keep telling you no to every idea and you just want to pull the middle finger and write in a stunt sequence in a desert. And I get it. We get it. Don't just don't. Capital D, don't. Don't. Stuart, for your record, this is what the establishment for the new Furiosa movie looks like. That's what they had to build out in the desert. All the tents. It looks crazy. (sighs) The big tent is where they put all the cars. Kind of looks like the end of uh, Matt Damon space movie. What's it called? Um, Elysium? The Martian? The Martian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Right, but I think that's a that's pretty good for the the prep for this. Yeah. Uh, do we want to dive into the plot, folks? We should. Yeah. We should. I agree. We should. Uh, so this movie starts off in one thousand two hundred ninety BC. Which pause? <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that for a bit. Yes. Because I know ancient Egypt is like a very like large span, um, of like time yeah like i think the story historians say like the you know the earliest one is uh pre-dynastic and that's as early as 4300 bc yeah and then this takes place in what uh 1290 okay so then this would have been um 1290 this would have been New Kingdom era. This would have yes. been around, uh, yeah, fifteen thirty nine to twelve ninety two, twelve ninety two to uh, to twelve hundred. It is worth saying that we are closer to zero, the year zero, than the pyramids are. Like mm. the pyramids were built twenty six hundred years before um, A D B C switch. Yeah, which is just crazy to think about how old that shit is. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the equivalent for um, the pyramids being built to when this movie is ostensibly set in the past yeah, is the equivalent of us going back to the year, like, 600. Outrageous. A bunch of Vikings. Outrageous. Time, crazy. Time is nuts. Weird concept. Yeah. But, yeah, so 1292 B.C. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... And we get Seti the First as the pharaoh. Yeah. One of the wealthiest pharaohs in the land. Seti the First. And uh, we're in Thebes, the city of the living. Mm-hmm. And we, we, I mean, we jump right into the love affair between Imhotep and Seti the First wife, 
uh, Anoxidamun. Yes. Uh, the body paint in the wardrobe. Took four hours to put her makeup on every day. Fucking hell. Because she was, uh, she basically had next to no clot costuming, so the entire body had to be painted gold. And to, mm. so to that point, next to no costuming, this movie mm. is a testament to how much that we really don't give a shit about boobs. We only care about nipples. Yes. Because her boobs are fully seen. It's just n- no nipples. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, what? What is the, what is what? the MPAA <laughs> like? What is going on? <laughs> what are the rules here? What are the rules? It's hot. <laughs> It is hot. It is absolutely hot. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, there is only basically two women in this entire movie. Yes. One um, of which is Anoxus Moon. And I, I'm butchering her name. Like, it's obviously ancient Egypt. I don't know how much they derived from historical, you know, I guess, hieroglyphics. Yeah. About what they wore or even, you know, tombs full of clothing. I don't know. I, I don't want to give the film too much credit because it seems very... Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, she's wearing next to no clothing, mm-hmm. which I, someone somewhere can probably rationalize that, whether they're educated or not. Yeah. Well, she also is kind of like a slave to her husband in yeah. a way, and yeah. probably for sexual desires. So yeah. it's maybe a story element as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously the paint on her body. Arnold Vuzlu said that he and Steven Summers were very specific that he when he is... His performance in this movie should not be in the tone of the movie. Um, he said he was playing this like uh, his own version of Romeo and Juliet. It's yeah. very much, yeah. It yeah. Like, feels that like way. the mummy should genuinely think about this movie as like he is Romeo and she is Juliet. They were stolen from each other. And now he's just really committed to getting her back. And he doesn't understand why all these people want to fucking stop him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so... I, my favorite. Th- so, who's the actor that's doing the narration? It's the Magi guy. Yeah. Um, Oded Fair as Ardeth Bay. He's yeah. an Israeli actor. Uh, who's. I think he's good in this movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, he does the narration at the beginning. Originally, it was Emotep who did the narration. That makes um, no sense. No, but they realized he wouldn't know how to speak English. Right. Uh, so, they changed it to this guy very last minute, which makes more sense. Yeah. It's like a historian. Um,. My favorite's like it's like forbid all forbidden to touch her and then make out touching mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. Had uh, had I have written this movie, I would have had um, Evie maybe do it, but you know, yeah, but she would have it told the tale at the beginning. Sense. Yeah, that actually because she's is, the historian. Yeah, like, it's true. But I guess in theory, she shouldn't know about the curse, right? So, like just for story like efficiency. And she is kind of a skeptic. Yeah, yeah. you should have the guy who like knows all the stuff tell the story because her probably saying like. You know, yeah, anyone is, who frees Emotep will unleash a curse that will destroy the world and become invincible like the gods. And like, then she just waltzes right in. Yeah, and she right. walks in, just opens the book, and is like, come back to life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, mistakes are made. Yeah. So, yeah, love affair. They, the, I said this to Jeff, too. So, like, they get caught. She kills herself, says... My body's no longer his temple. Yeah. Great line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then she stabs herself. Yeah. yeah. He says it so great in that yeah. Egyptian. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I mean, before that, a bunch of these guards come in. It seems like her own guards turn on her and take Emotep or whatever. They do not put any effort into running away. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know if they came up with, I mean, I guess they came up with a plan to to commit suicide 
and then he would resurrect her and then do what? I, I guess like, like why can't they just run away together? I guess like resurrection at this time is a commodity. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just oh. something you can do on a Wednesday at seven PM. <laughs> like I'm guessing the idea is that she kills herself to draw off suspicion from Emotep. Like she's because then it looks like she killed the Pharaoh and then killed herself. Oh, that's right. But then somehow they still find out Emotep was involved. Yeah. yeah and chase him to Hominoptera. Well, maybe they arrest him for like stealing her corpse, because that does happen. Yes. Yeah. Because he takes her corpse, they go to Amenoptera, city, the of, city the of the dead. The city of the dead, with the Book of the Dead. With the Book of the and Dead. And they risk the the gods' anger and attempt to perform a resurrection ritual. Yes, which does not require human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Oh. This one doesn't. This yeah. one doesn't. That's always been a little thing about the movie that I had well, a look. Well, so here's the thing. It does not require human sacrifice for the resurrection. The human sacrifice is assimilating the body parts. Um, oh yeah, because even Emotep needed yeah. multiple dudes yeah. and his sacred jars. At the beginning oh. of the movie, she's like her body is still it hasn't decomposed yet. Right. So you can just bring her back. Uh, right. See. Whereas at the end she's like a mummy. Right. <laughs> like, a technicality. Like you could bring her right. back and she could just walk around, but like she'd like be a mummy the whole time. Look, no disrespect, but she'd look ugly as shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's, she's a fucking mummy. Pegas <laughs> reaction. Like have body parts falling out. Organs are like Ugly is not the word I would use. I would describe a mummy as ugly. What? Decayed. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Like let's be real, like. And then look, if you're if you're trying to bring yourself back to life and you need body parts, might as well use Rachel Weisz. Fair it's enough. Very, very, fair very enough. attractive, very attractive yep. person. Fair enough. Imagine it was Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just John Hanna and Arnold Muslu making out at the end as they ride off to the sunset. This movie becomes actually Freaky Friday, and they accidentally put a Nux and a Moon inside of Jonathan. And they're like, Fuck. <laughs> we got to reverse this. Oh man, that's a really good movie. Mm. Uh, I'd see it, but he's unable to perform the ritual as the guards find out about it and yeah. stop him partway through. Yeah. And then, and then her soul leaves her body and goes back into the well of the damned or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm. And then a scary <laughs> sequence. A very it, uh, when I was a kid this was a scary sequence. Yeah. So they like they mummify his priest alive. They talk mm. about like, you know, all his priests get put to death, mummified alive. But Emotep gets a special punishment. Yeah. That's called the Home Die. What a great name. The Home Die. The Home Die. The worst of put curses amongst ancient Egyptians never performed before. And it's a curse that kills someone, but if Why you are resurrect you doing them, a pirate they voice? No, listen, they they come <laughs> back as an invincible monster that could end the world. Maybe don't Hold do on. This. <laughs> the dude with possibly the biggest crush a grudge, sorry, biggest grudge in all of human history, and they endue him with special powers for revenge. Right. It's like, <laughs> we're going to put you to the most painful death possible, but if, you know, God forbid you ever get brought back to life, you'll be like an invincible, unstoppable force. Yeah. It, Jeff, you mentioned that it takes a lot of taxpayer yeah. money to keep this guy in the tomb. Yeah. Like, for, what, <laughs> for what reason? Yeah, because it seems like the the idea is that they're damning him to eternal suffering. Yeah. And that's the the risk of it is that he's going to live forever in pain. Yeah. Um but you do risk that if he gets out. <laughs> right. He's going to have some grudges. Again, resurrection being a commodity yeah. in ancient Egypt. Egypt. Like, it takes a lot to like like I said the, the taxpayers in ancient <laughs> Egypt like the consideration should have been thought about. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But like, because this guy was resurrected a day later. Yeah. Because I think about it, they got built that really nice sarcophagus for him. Two. With, a, with a locking mechanism. Two. They double layer it. Yeah. <laughs> With a bunch of warnings yeah. that said, don't fucking open this. And they just dumped Mozart in a pit. <laughs> Think about that. Emotep got two coffins and they dumped Mozart in a pit. Yes. <laughs> they couldn't They couldn't have Osama bin Laden him and just like dumped him in the dumped ocean. Dumped him or in something. the ocean. Yeah. But no. No. And like they filled this tomb full of riches. And for what? Where did and like everything you like bury the kings and queens in their like riches so in the afterlife they're well off. I my misconstrued in you know interpretation of that. But like this tomb is kind of like he was tortured and tormented and like imprisoned. Yeah. But then this tomb is full of treasure. I'm all yeah. confused. Is there another mummy inside? That of higher prowess than Emotep? Well, it's the um, the this... city of the dead. So I, I think they say like a lot of the pharaohs get buried. Pharaohs there. and important people get buried there. But they have the pyramids, and then like oh, they, they put... do say quote important people, and then they put him like in like the bottom between the dungeon. legs of Anubis. Between the legs of Anubis, so he doesn't get out. <laughs> That's true. Okay, they're so like, it's a right. like this is a very powerful place. We put all of our famous dead here so that they can be close to God. And we want this guy close to God too, but like over here. Right. Then what drew them to Emotep other than the other pharaohs? If this if this guy has all this like dark energy about him, they're like, uh, we'll just crack open the other carcophysis or whatever. That's where all them MFs at the end come out. Like, ah, ah. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah. And that's, that's sort of the prelude that we get. Yeah. Emotep gets, you know, eaten alive inside of his sarcophagus yeah. and all that bad stuff. bad don't do it bad don't do it um and then we're in 1923 yes. ad uh cairo or right cairo or thebes again um we start in cairo well yeah. we start with we start back oh, at hominoptera hominoptera yes yes yeah. another problem i had with this City of the Dead, no one can find it. The first scene we see is a whole fucking army invading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Lots it, of people are finding this place. Yeah. Well, it is established that a lot of people have found it, and it seems like they just keep killing each other over it to the point that no one can get into the city. Well, well, those uh, uh, remind me of the, the Magi. The Magi. Yeah, they kill them. Mm-hmm. So nobody speaks of the tale. Because it's, it's the French Foreign Legion. Um, that Rick O'Connell is serving with at this point. And I don't know who's attacking them because it's not the Magi. It's some other army. Oh, yeah. it's not? It, yeah, it's some other army and the Magi are just watching it happen. Oh. And uh, so uh, one thing I will give it to it, this is something that um, I was wa- I was watching this movie with my girlfriend and she said like with Hominoptera and I pointed this out like, wait, w- like these armies are already attacking it. Like how do they not know? It's like, well, like, there are lots of ruins in like real life archaeology. Like there's real life yeah. ruins that we just don't know what they are and we don't know what it is. So like when people talk about lost cities, it's actually not about locating them. It's about identifying them. Fair enough. So like the Amazon rainforest is a clear, city of Tannis. Yeah. It's a clear example. Of like there's lots of ruins in the Amazon, but we don't know like what cities are. And then outside of that, there are like, yeah. hieroglyphs and things that say like there's a city called this located somewhere in the jungle and it's like out of these five cities which one is it mm. rather than like you know yeah you can't find it so this I, I was a really big Egypt kid 
This um, movie kind of made me a little bit of an Egypt kid. Like, I was a big bit. Egypt kid, and then I saw this movie, and I became even more of an Egypt kid. Yeah. Like, Egypt classes at school were always my favorite. Um, I love this. I had a little pyramid. Um, I had a book of ancient Egyptian myths and legends. Um, big Egypt guy, you know? Yeah. Good friend of mine. Um, They're the first. Pre-Greek? Yeah. They were pre-Greek. Yeah. Um, Pre-Greek on fleek. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was a big Egypt kid, and so this movie, um, I'm, I'm excited at this point. You know? I'm like, yeah, we're in Egypt. Yeah. Everything's orange. I love how <laughs> orange the desert is in this. Yeah. Like, I, I really like, you know, Indiana Jones is a very orange-tinted mu- movie. Yeah. And I like that this picks that up and is very orange-tinted. Mm-hmm. Makes everything look fun. Yeah. Movie shot by Adrian Biddle, who's James Cameron's guy uh, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Worthy of acknowledgement. I think this is a good, like, check-in point with you, Becca. For cinematography and stuff because we're we just left like the prelude of the past and how that was all shot and now we're in modern day and where where are you at watching it um like i said i actually really like the way this movie's lit i think some of the camera work is a little boring yeah um very very stock yeah but I have no, I have no problems with this movie. Yeah. In terms of visual style, I think it's the set deck and costuming that really uh, drives this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a whole lot of character behind the way this movie shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Nothing's really. No. No, I don't think there's. I don't like... think I'm asking it of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I it think. Would be th- nice. I think there's some fun blocking elements that occur with this movie. Where like, you know. Um, they'll just do like a, a long action sequence in one shot, but I don't think there's anything necessarily special about the camera movement in no. that. No. It's just kind of that they decided that's how they were going to do it, and it looks For a fun. movie as showy as it is, it's it's interesting that they keep it rather subdued mm-hmm. behind the camera. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, not that I want anything flashy. But. Right. Well, there's not one shot I can like recall. There, <laughs> I mean, not to jump ahead, but there is the shot where. Jonathan, I guess, somehow gets a golf ball and a golf club or something. Oh. And it's like, he like hits the ball, and they're just like, oh, we can't find this tomb. And he goes, well, so much for that. He hits a ball, and then it releases Emotep's tomb from the <laughs> yeah. ceiling. And for some reason, it's just a really funny shot because Jonathan's in the foreground, and it looks like it totally collapses on top of Rachel Weisz or Brennan <laughs> Fraser. Yeah. But it, it doesn't. I don't know. That, that shot is just funny. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it kind of goes with the blocking thing a lot. That's the yeah. kind of thing where it's no, like that yeah, shot totally where the blocking. um the Egyptologist walks right up to the camera, and you see his eyes, and then he steps away, and Emotep's just right yeah. behind him. Yeah. There's a lot of fun, like, hidden, like, yeah. back and forth. But in terms of the camera and what the camera's yeah. doing on its own. Yeah, it's a lot playing with the yeah. bodies in the frame and not yeah. the frame itself. Yeah, there's some yeah. really fun like um, I at some point I'm like, oh, they must have ran out of money for CGI because then he sucks the life out of that one dude and it's all done in a shadow. Yeah, yeah. but it's a CGI shadow. Mm-hmm. Part of me's like, there's ways to do that practically. I think. Yeah. Even when Emotep like steps into the shadow and it's kind of revealed that he's yeah. now fully human or at least mostly human, that's a CGI shadow, mm-hmm. like, bro. I also feel like they couldn't. I think a part of that is also that mo- the movie might get R rating risky if they show the <laughs> of a guy. I suppose it always cuts away and you come yeah. back and he's mummified. Yeah, and see like body parts flying off of them. Well, I don't know. Edgy. Was it? Wasn't it? Um, 
Indiana Jones. Yeah, that was the first PG rating of any movie, right? Um, Temple of Doom caused the PG-13 rating. Or PG-13 rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they, they really fought for PG, even though he rips the dude's heart out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark was about to get an R rating at the end when Belloc explodes. Yeah. Um, and so they had to add some CGI flame or effects flame in front of it to kind of obscure it. Yeah. Huh. Uh, that's the only reason that movie had to get some PG. <laughs> and you know, it does look odd. You're like, why is he kind of like hidden? Um, but it was for the rating. Yeah. But, uh, but we're in the library. Yes, we're in the library. See Rachel Weiss. Yes. In all her glory. Yes. She looks incredible. So I just want to say that. And, uh, oh, I'm getting, little, I'm getting a little, your next words tension wisely. going on here. Second uh, most, she's, fine actress, she's maybe. The second most describe. attractive person I've ever seen in my life. The first is sitting across the table. Oh, Shut my up. God. Blech. Thank you, Jeff. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I had to build, like, climb out of the hole I dug. Um, but we do well, get. Well, then, wait. If I'm first, I, where's what? Becca place? You know what? No. <laughs> The first thing you're like, and Rachel comes in, and she's looking fine. <laughs> I'll Come t- on. I'll do it for Brendan, too. <laughs> so anyway, she's in the library, and uh, say, do-do-do-do-do, Bainbridge Scholars. <laughs> like yeah. she's no, Bainbridge Scholars we get my favorite <laughs> shot in this movie. Oh, the, the, the domino? Yeah. yeah. They did this once. They did it one take because they did not want to have to reset it. <laughs> yeah, no. That would have been a catastrophe. Yeah. Fun shot, though. Yeah, very fun shot. It's a fun shot, and this whole scene builds a lot of character for her. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what's the camera doing? It's just on a tripod, panning. Yeah. That's all it's doing. That's all you need. That is all you need. It's yeah. just, but it, it, it tracks with each. Solidifies the point yeah. that it's, 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 a, it's more like blocking and direction yeah. than, you know, yeah. fancy camera work. But I still yeah. don't understand why her boss is just like, you are the worst. I mean, obviously she accidentally mm-hmm. destroyed the library, but what happened beforehand when he's just like, give me locust, anything but you. I'm like, what? I like this um, scene because it does establish a lot of character just through her actions. Yeah. We establish she's intelligent but clumsy. Oh, jeez. Um, she's intelligent but clumsy. Um, has deep interest in Egypt and cares deeply about it, um, just might not have the means to make that happen. Right. And then following that amazing work of blocking exposition, yeah. we then get a lot of great interest. I say great, uh, interesting dialogue exposition. Because <laughs> then you're right. It's like, give me flies, give me locusts, anything, anything but, but you. you. Why I keep you, blah, blah, blah. Besides the fact that your mom and father were once really great patrons of this place. Yeah. <laughs> And then the immediate ap- thing after that, it's like, clean this place up. And she goes by and she opens a letter and it's like, oh, the Bainbridge scholars rejected my application again because they don't have enough field experience. And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> just really hamming it up with yeah. the dialogue exposition. That's why I say this movie is very simple. Yes. Very simple. Like, to we're, the point. We're having fun just like, yeah, yeah talk. You I know. do want to shout out Eric Avari, though, her boss, um, yeah. CEO of um, Bit Parts in the 90s. Hmm? He's um, the beginning of Independence Day. He's the guy who discovers the alien signal. Oh, And he's yeah. like, what's with the golf balls? Why are the golf balls? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, he's in this. Um, he's in Encino Man. Oh. Yeah, he is. Um, I can't remember what his role is, but he was in it. Uh, he pops up in Stargate. 
He just like he's a Mr. Deeds. I think about that a lot. He pops up mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff, kind of just like does his shtick for like three scenes and then he's out. Yeah. Um, and then we get our Jonathan introduction. Yes. This is a great character introduction, I think. Because yeah. it's like there's something lurking in the shadows, and then she looks over a tomb, and then Jonathan pops out with the corpse. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? You should respect the dead. And it's like, of course I respect the dead, but I also find them very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just find the key to a tomb. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he, talk, he says he got, a, he got this thing from a drunk at a bar. Uh, he bought. He says he bought it from him. It turns out he stole it. Yeah. And he's like, "Is it worth anything?" And she finds out that it's a key, and she's able to open it. And there's a map inside. And there's a map inside the Hominoptera. Yes. Uh, she shows it to her boss, who pulls a classic uh, move of accidentally lighting it on fire with the candles. He's like, "Oh no!" Well, we find out that he's part of the Magi. Yeah. Later. Yeah. yeah. Which just, that fit that point. I did. like that if you look, he very intentionally does it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, but yeah, we get a good like character intro to these two, uh, Evelyn's yeah. Yeah. Like I said, smart, but not a lot of field experience. So a little clumsy in the field. Jonathan's out in the field, but he is, but he is stupid. Yeah. He has no (laughs) intelligence for it. Right. High Um, charisma, low dexterity. (laughs) Now that they don't have a map, she's like, you got to show me the guy who had this. They go to Cairo prison where they meet Rico, where they meet the warden. Before they meet. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. So, Everyone's favorite character. Sorry, not to pull D&D, but the moment I thought of like the high charisma, low dexterity, if you really think about Rick, Evelyn, Jonathan, and then the Oded, Oded, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Adar. Yeah. Um, these four of them, you could, I could distinctively put them each into D&D roles yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I yeah. just find that very funny. It's already making me think of an Egypt version. That would be pretty funny. Yeah. As long as it's not like this movie and horribly uh, misguided, <laughs> right? In terms of, because I think the warden is probably a very nasty stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Very... I, I was I was pointing out to Jeff that it seems like all of the non-speaking roles are diverse, but then they're the they're the, the schmucks that go and open the the tomb and get covered in acid. They're the stormtroopers that get killed. They are. <laughs> It's just, it's not, it's not a good look. Yeah. Salt acid melts them. The the, uh, warden is the only like main um, character of Middle Eastern. Uh, Him and um, Ardeth Bay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But the warden, you know, is very much a stereotype. Yeah. The, The one credit this movie deserves is that just as much as it makes this guy a stereotype, the three American characters, yes. yeah, 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 the single most stereotypical Americans I, I've ever seen in a oh movie. Oh my god! They're literally Even equivalent with like you have like a French guy in a movie and he has like a beret and like the little mustache. He's like, oh, oh, oh my sucky blue the croissant. This guys are like, well, there's one scene where it's like, give me a glass of bourbon, all right, and a shot of bourbon, all right, and and, and another bourbon glass chaser. of and a bourbon chaser. It's like, I'll get you your bourbon. <laughs> and there's this scene where like they're in a, a fight and the three of them are like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all right. At least we're being offensive to the Americans. <laughs> An equal opportunity offender. So. Okay, yeah. All right, we'll give the movie that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they meet the warden. Um, they link up with Rick O'Connell, who they have to barter out of prison. Yeah. Who? Might I add, is looking fine. Oh my god, Very he looks like such a snack. Fine. I pulled a U. That was my yeah. joke just then. This, 
I'm not going to talk about what, his acting. I'm not going to talk about anything else of his prowess. I'm just going to say. What is this movie if not watching attractive people stand in the desert? <laughs> I am not going to do a separate hair ranking for this only because it's a very short. Yes. That we get this look. Um, but when we do get the official. Yeah. The, the look for Ricochet the Ricochet O'Connell look. That it almost like he has to shed and see no man one the more o- time. The official before look. Finally- oh. <laughs> Swallowing the mic, he's got to wash it later. Uh, My only point to being a little gruffed about your comment about Rachel Weiss is the fact that she's basically the only woman in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a Noxie to Moon. Right. Who's a mummy. And who I already called ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. So here we are. Here we are. Uh, anyway. Anyway. But yeah, he's like perceived as like this crazy yeah drunk drunk guy in prison and he's being hung he's gonna he's being hanged uh, uh, what was the quote that the warden said it's like he said he's but just looking he had for a very a good, good time. time yeah but he's talking to evelyn it's like we want you to lead us to a place and it's like no 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 you want me to lead you to hamanoptra and it's like you know about it? it's like oh honey i was there yeah <laughs> and this is where we get the first kiss because he like He's like, you really want to know where it is? You really, and he draws her yeah. in closer, draws her in closer, and then reaches out, forcibly kisses her, says, then get me the hell out yeah. of here, and then he gets like sucker punched. And mm-hmm. It's like, where, where are you taking him? He is to be hanged. Apparently, he got a very good time. Yes. Uh, so she barters to get him out. The hang does start. Yeah. Um, and he does start hanging. Brendan Fraser actually passed out during this scene. Yes. I was uh, he say. was almost actually um, strangled. Yes. Yep. I want to, yeah. Something to talk about because yes. um, I'm assuming they did like the standard like fake hangman trick where they have like the harness. Probably. Yeah, they did. But then something went wrong and he actually was like yeah. hanging. And I want to know like what shot they were setting up for that we saw in the movie. That was the shot he presumably passed out in because mm-hmm. I hope to God it wasn't the one that he like, yeah. like fell down in. Yeah. It yeah. seemed to be it wasn't the drop that was the problem. It was just that he was... Well, if it was the drop that was the problem, he de- probably would have died. had his neck snap. Yeah, and died. There is a close-up, or not a close-up, about, you know, a cowboy shot where it looks very tight around mm-hmm. his neck. Yeah. You know, he's playing it up, obviously. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if the shot that actually caused him injury made it into the movie. Do we know? I don't know. I do not know. I can look it up. There's a lot of angles used. So, there like, is. I... Presume like one of the shots was, but well, he passed out, didn't even realize it. Woke up to a bunch of medics or whatever, and apparently Stephen Summers was just like, "All right, get back up." Like was very apathetic. Oh yeah, yeah, and oh, and always like gruffed about Brendan Fraser talking about the incident because he was just like, "It was you know, it wasn't a big deal." He was just trying to undersell it all the time and Brendan Fraser was just like I was actually very injured and things did not go as planned we didn't really do any rehearsal like blah 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 classic uh so that brings me to like a main sidebar I've been wanting to make for this movie is that mm-hmm. this movie is great it defined his career it also took a massive toll on his body yeah and the future sequels continue to take a massive toll on his body and Brendan Fraser has said that it is part of the reason why like he had to like step away from acting yeah mm-hmm. was because he like just lo- lost all of the physicality that he was known for and would give and push into these films yeah and i think it's something to 
know especially about this movie and it's something that i think about a lot when i watch this movie is how great it is but it's also like this is kind of like the beginning of where like fraser like does too much yes and i say that because um this is purely my assumption i have no basis for this in whatsoever regard brendan fraser was quoted as saying that he wanted to act so badly and was so into it that he really would do whatever they asked him to do. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly He's, it. He said it as such and, yeah. and said that if he isn't the face of like Matt Damon, Tom Cruise, then he's going to make himself as in like, he's going to put 150% yeah. into it. And mm-hmm. he's going to do all like his stunts that aren't safe for him to do. Yeah, exactly. And he'll, He'll be that stuntman. Yeah. Actor. And he'll agree. It's like, we don't have time to do the rehearsal. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to like, no, like we're going to fucking rehearse this and make yeah. sure that it's safe. Like, and it's he's ve- a total yes man. Yeah. A hundred percent. He's such very like agreeable man. and friendly and mm-hmm. he doesn't want to cause egoless. a problem. Doesn't want to cause. Doesn't want to cause problems. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he'll go with anything. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a major credit to his performances. Um, but it does like cause him personally problems. Long term problems. Yes, long term. Yeah, because yeah. he he does kind of seem like a sadly insecure guy. Yeah, and I mean, if you're ever in the limelight, like everything is picked apart, mm-hmm. you know. And he seems like as too much of a genuine person, someone who's very conscious of how he treats people, and he could put himself aside for that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, because it's very easy to stereotype the diva actors who are like, no, I'm not going to do this take without yeah. it. And to think, oh, they're so annoying. They're taking up all this time. But there's a side of the coin of that where it's like, no, they're doing it because like if one thing goes wrong, they can be out of the business forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got And yeah, they're making a lot of money. And are they going to you know, be out on the streets by the next day in a bad stunt? No, but they do have a family to feed. They do have all, you know, it's yeah. a way they're, way they're making a living. Yeah. And sometimes actors can really be like shoehorned into being like total risk takers. It's Mm -hmm. like, why is this a part of the job? I just wanted to recite Shakespeare or what have you. It's like, they really do have to take a lot of risks. And a lot of it is like for the clout, for the take, for the prowess, for Mm -hmm. the movie, for the director. Yeah. Like all, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And we know all too well, like the idea of like saying at the beginning of our safety meeting at the beginning of a day that we're going to take safety very seriously but then when it comes to two hours, three hours behind schedule, how quickly that goes out the window. Oh, yeah. So fucking quickly. Yeah. On a, on a scale of how what we do, but imagine on like a $80 million feature film in Morocco. Yeah. Well, I've heard stories from people I know on Transformer sets, Ma- Michael Bay sets, yeah. where people are like, I thought for sure my colleague who was in a condor right above an explosion was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how we laugh about it now knowing that he's not dead. It's like, oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. To just see a condor get engulfed in flames and be like, I don't think I'm going to see my friend again. And then he comes out charred, all hair, all of his hair is kind of, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I've heard stories like that. It's crazy. Safety is no accident. I think the universe, I don't know an AD who's had someone die on on a set. I I still have yet to meet an AD who has a story of someone dying on their set. And I thank the universe for that. Well, you would never meet an AD who had someone die on their set, ideally. Because they, they would never work. You sure? <laughs> Hopefully. Are you sure? No, that's happened, but... Uh, I mean, the Rust AD. Yeah. Who has had multiple serious... I don't know if... You know... Anyway. I don't know if he's had a history of deaths on his set before, but definitely a lot of... um, What do you call that? 
um, like safety, safety violations. Yeah. I'm not totally sure that if an, if someone died on an AD set, that would be a career ender. I, I'd put money on that, that it not nest probably 90% of the time, but I bet it's 90, but it's not a hundred. Yeah. I'm sure there are some examples. There's just way too many people on set who are involved in stunts in any capacity mm-hmm. that it's never just a singular person's fault. Yeah. And we're seeing that firsthand with the rust incident and all these now charges being filed. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. All stuff that needs to be taken very seriously, and mm-hmm. unfortunately for Brendan Fraser, it was not, yeah. and it caused a long-lasting, um, not like this singular injury caused him a lot of grief, I'm sure it did, Right. Um, but a series of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Sidebar side. Yes. <laughs> Safety is no accident. Yeah. Uh, okay. So... Rick's going to go on the mission with them. Yeah, they, um, they bargain like a, a price of the treasure that the yeah. warden's going to get. And the warden's so going to come along. Cut the rope and he's saved. I argue their deal was like, D- don't let me hang and I'll take you to Hamanoptra. He gets hung. Yeah. <laughs> His deal could be end right yeah. there. He could have been like, on a technicality, I'm going back to the U.S. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> get out of there. Uh, but no, that he cleans up and Rachel's talk or um, Evie's talking about how like he's a scoundrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes in and he's like scoundrel I could get used to that scoundrel. you know you like scoundrels I happen to like nice men I'm a nice man <laughs> I've isolated the reverse power coupling <laughs> did you just glitch out what just we happened just, just a, now we just did a scene from the Empire Strikes yeah, Back yeah, yeah. oh my god so you know, she says, like, he's a scoundrel, blah, blah, blah. And then Brendan Fraser shows up. And he's all clean cut. Yes. He got two degrees tanner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. Uh, yeah. And he's in a nice little outfit. And Jeff, I think it's time. Time. Cue the hair ranking music. Cue the hair ranking music. <laughs> Welcome to the hair ranking. Um, it's not going to go number one because George of the Jungle really solidified that spot. Yeah. Ooh. It's not going to go number two because Still Breathing is still like really, Ooh. really nice hair. But what's under Still Breathing? Uh, I am attempting to pull it up right now. Here. I uh, pull it up on my phone. Um, this hair is not. Uh, it's great. It is great hair, but it's not the luscious long hair that we've gotten before. This is action star short hair with a yeah. swoof, a little swoof. You know, he can do a little hair flip and fire off his revolver. Um, so it's good. I'm going to put it um, above Mrs. Winterborn Hugh, below still breathing, number three. Number three? Number three. Sir, are you making that edit or do you want me to? You make that edit. Okay. Because you have a computer. I do have a computer. There it is. The mummy. New number three. He's looking real good during the scene when he comes in. He's clean shaven and everything. Fraser as a whole just looks really good in this movie. Oh my God. He's a whole meal. And it's like the sum of all its parts. His hair doesn't make the look, but it Mm. it adds to the look. Yeah. His tan doesn't make the look, but it adds to the look. I said in the still breathing. Oh, sorry. Keep going. I was just going to say that he's a very good physical actor. And so when he's given a heartthrob, 
character in a way you know he's kind of a, a schmoozer yeah if you will uh he he plays into it physically if mm-hmm. anything we should honestly rank the forearms in this movie <laughs> 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 because the rolled up the roll the long sleeve white shirt that he has rolled up to his elbows like oh. showing exposing the God. Yeah. the mm-hmm. forearms with the hair and the watch and the double holster harness <laughs> i'm all over this mic right now <laughs> he always like he always cocks the gun with one hand like he just uses the momentum of a gun there's yeah. just something to that that is just so good and jeff do you remember in the movie blast from the past when he has to rip like the gene leg off of i can't remember the actress's name god help me blast of the past oh god she, like, blast. Her and he um, has to like he just like brandon the, fraser oh, just girl like, from clueless what's her name um it's me alicia silverstone alicia silverstone alicia silverstone blast from the past like falls and hits her knee in the movie and then she's like limping to the couch and brandon fraser gets her over and it's like what is your knee he's like it's okay if i do this and just what what the really sensual scene with the leg yeah he does that with jonathan (laughs) the bug (laughs) when the bug digs in to his palm he's like ah ah it's crawling up he's like watch out rips and i know it's another man but still (laughs) he just rips his like shirt a little bit to expose Mm. his shoulder i'm like okay Okay. All right. All right. So they get on a, a riverboat. Yeah. Um. And the riverboat makes it approximately one mile from where they leave before it is uh invaded. <laughs> so like the riverboat itself is to me absolutely shot on a stage just with water. Yeah. I was. I would say. Yeah. But it's when they actually get onto the shores that's the Nile, right? I think I looked in the location list and they said supposedly they shot the Nile. But oh, wow. like I cannot imagine. They said they could not shoot in Egypt, so I'm okay. guessing it's some river in Morocco. Well, I think the Nile resembles. goes through another country, though. It's a very big river, Stuart, notoriously so. I got one thing to say to you. If you think the Nile goes into Morocco, you're in denial. And that's the podcast. And that's the podcast. Thank Stuart you all for is listening. in denial. Um, oh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah. Uh, is the boat the first time we see the Magi in action? Yes. I think so, yeah. With a little hook? Yeah. Sword? Oh, the claw. The claw. <laughs> the claw. I, I said this to Jeff because the boat, they get on the boat. And it's full of people all heading to Hamanatra for some reason. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was a coincidence. I mean, not everybody on there is, but it's a po- it's a huge posse with the Americans and the Fez guy. And, and then Benny. they're posing. Yeah. And <laughs> Benny plus Benny. But then the boat, like a little gurney of Majai show up. And I'm like, how did they know? <laughs> like, these guys are special assassins. They follow them for years. They knew they found the two groups of people who are heading to Hamanoptera at this time. They don't even find them at Hamanoptera. They find them outside of Hamanoptera and they go after them. I was about to say... Oh, it's because the her boss is part of the Majai yeah, yeah. and tracked him down. Sorry, I just came to that realization. This mm-hmm. movie has... Uh, this movie is... Um, was the John Travolta Christian... Um, oh, uh, the Tom the, Todd the, Scott movie. The uh, the nuclear warhead one on. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, uh, Broken uh, Arrow. Angley. Broken Arrow. This movie is like Broken Arrow, where like it 
it accidentally f- fixes all its holes. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. You start do. talking about it, you're like, oh, but wait, they but wait established a minute. They did actually establish Because I was about to say Adar has a falcon, but that's actually not until the second movie. He does have a falcon. In the second movie. Yes, he has a magic falcon. Yeah. Ooh. In the second one. It's very funny. It's not present. In this one. <laughs> but they're on this riverboat. The yeah. Magi are getting ready to attack. That's where we're introduced to the competing party. Yes. Which the is American, three Americans. Benny. Um, Benny, who we haven't talked about. Because Benny's in the opening battle scene. Yes. Yeah. And Brandon Fraser, one of the best, like, you got my back, right, Benny? It's like, oh, your strength gives me strength. <laughs> Whatever accent he's doing. I don't know what it is. Uh, Benny. Hung- Hungarian, right? Benny's supposed to be a Libyan. Um, what? Played by, because he says they marched from Libya. Uh, so, and it's the French Foreign Legion. So it's like a French army from Libya. Okay. I don't know why Rick O'Connell was involved in that. It's a fun place to catch him. So, yeah, it know. is, yeah. Um, but played by Kevin J. O'Connor, mm-hmm. a decidedly not Libyan actor from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> the son of a retired police officer and a teacher. <laughs> nice. This guy probably kind of talks like this, you know. <laughs> he was in There Will Be Blood. Good movie. Oh, he's a, you know, There Will Be Blood one. Yeah, he's the fake brother of Daniel Day-Lewis that he kills. No shit. Yeah. Spoiler well. alert. Um, Good actor. So Rick, Rick uh, finds he's Benny. Also- and uh, he's like, Benny, what are you doing out here? And finds out, it's like, oh, so I see you're going to lead the Americans out to the desert and leave them the high and dry. It's like, no, unfortunately, these Americans are smart. They're going to pay me half now and half when they get back to Cairo. And he's like, oh, okay. And I then have he throws to go him. all the way. Yeah, it's like, I had to go all the way. But then he throws him off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Bye, Benny. Bye, Benny. <laughs> the physical comedy of Benny yeah. is top tier in it this is movie. Good. It's good. It's good. We're going to get some more bits. Benny's good. Yeah. Uh, but then the Medjai attack. Yes. Uh, there's a little steamy scene between um, Rick and Evie. Yeah. Uh, but she rejects his advances. Right. Um, and then the Medjai attack. They try and kill her and steal the map and key. Uh, Rick saves her the uh, escape. Yeah. There's a quick bit in this before the Magi attack that is a nice little character development on Rick O'Connor, mm-hmm. uh, O'Connell's part where she's talking about, it's like, you wouldn't know this. It's like, you know, oh, you mean like the, the book of Amun-Ra, who's like the book of the living underneath Hamad It's like, oh, like, you know your history. It's like, I know my treasure. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many more lines like that that yeah. I remember. Oh my yeah. God. I was just like, hell <laughs> what yeah. What is it? Kill the beast, save the girl. And then he runs. Like, there's so many yeah. lines like that in this movie that I just don't remember. I'm like, this is corny. Yeah. I know my treasure. <laughs> and then he even looks around like, I know my treasure. And he like, gives all this like mm. look almost towards the camera. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, but I'm... Um, the ears, honey. It's the mileage. <laughs> and Rick comes in when the Magi are attacking, and a fire breaks out. Yes. This fire explodes the bow. <laughs> it's very deadly. It spreads very quickly. You can see the pyramids in the background at this point. No, what? They launched from Cairo. They made it, like I said, approximately one mile out the river, <laughs> and then the boat explodes. And then, like, a gunfight breaks out. The Americans are shooting back. Yeah. Everything's The Americans fire. are just shooting. Yeah, they're just shooting. They probably don't know who they're shooting There's at. a fun bit where, like, Evelyn and Rick are, like, hiding behind, like, a wall. And Rick's, like, reloading his pistol. And, yeah, like, gunshots yeah. are going through a wall next to him. And then Evelyn, like, pulls him out of the way. Yeah. 
I just like it. Like it a is a fun one. Comedic little bit there. It's good storytelling through action. And then he proceeds yeah. to fire off way more rounds than he has in his pistol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the great revolver joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, six round revolver, but he's firing like 18 rounds off. <laughs> and who cares? <laughs> Nobody. No one, because you're like, yeah, yeah let's go. Uh, but then everybody has to get off the bow. Yeah. And they wind uh, up, the parties wind up on two separate sides of the river. Yeah. The warden like runs over to like Rick on the boat and he's like, what, what, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, you stay here. I'll get help. And then just jumps off the boat. Yeah. The warden is like, <laughs> okay, okay. And then jumps <laughs> off the boat too. And yeah, then we get the best scene probably in the film. In my oh, opinion. the best lines. The best lines. Uh, the parties are divided. Yeah. It's Benny and the Americans on one side. And Rick then it's and his three Rick and his gang. Uh, and then Benny's like, oh, God, oh, look. Who wants to say it? You say it. You say that. I'll do the other one. Okay. Oh, God, oh, looks to me like I've got all the horses. Hey, Benny, looks to me like you're on the wrong side of the river. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they take off. Yeah. They, they don't. And, and so they go to a small little town. They procure yeah. some camels. Evelyn gets a makeover and is all of a sudden yes. beautiful. With enough Wait, time. All of a sudden beautiful? <laughs> In the movie's view, she never wore glasses, but she this is where she took off the metaphorical glasses yeah. in this movie. There's mm-hmm. so many tropes in this Instead movie. of glasses taking off, the eyeshadow goes on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what happens in this movie. Yes. Um, I mean, it's hot as fuck. <laughs> She's... You're pressing your nose against the microphone. I am. <laughs> <laughs> She has agency, Jeff. She has lies. But she looks really good. <laughs> she looks like she's a... an intelligent woman who can sit on my face. <laughs> <laughs> who is legally allowed to sit on my face. Mommy, sorry. Mommy, sorry. Mommy, sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. So they... does this mean I can start talking like that now? No. No. <laughs> Just Becca. Okay. Um, so then, uh, <laughs> sorry, that really got me off guard. <laughs> I've never back on talk that way. <laughs> this really Sit takes it out of me. You, you never struck it like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was the mommy for me. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, 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 this was everybody's sexual awakening. Yeah. It was mine. It was mine. It was yours. Yeah. It was everybody's. It so. was. It really was. Yeah. Look. Uh, Everybody in the theater around this point is doing the Rook O'Connell like, I know my treasure. <laughs> I'd like to be prepared. <laughs> uh, they get their camels. They get their camels. And then they took off and eventually find the Americans right in front of the mirage of Hamanatra. Yeah. It's pretty quickly after they get off the boat. This is where I think we get our first like day for night stuff, right? When the montage when they're traveling. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah. So they split off. They're like, wow, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. That's crazy. And then they meet up immediately. At the same time. Yeah. Then yeah. they land at the exact same time. Yeah. And then they're like, they're about to be shown the way. Yeah. I like the little mirage effect. Yeah. Revealing Hamanoptera. That's pretty cool. Presumably, though, if you know the direction Hamanoptera's in, you could just start walking that way. That's true. Well, like, is it magic? Well, that's the thing. It's like the sun just reveals, like yeah. dissipates the mirage. Yeah. Like it's there physically in space. Mm-hmm. You no, would, I, I presume you would eventually it's come It's like across. the sun comes up and the stones metamorphosize <laughs> into places. That's yeah. what I like to think right. it is. <laughs> but then what happens when you sleep there at night? 
Oh, that's true. If we're gonna and go down do. this, if we're gonna go down this route. I, I think it's just a, a mirage. See underworld. They go to the underworld. I think we're gonna come across a similar uh, thing like this in Looney Tunes Back in Action, where a Walmart appears uh, <laughs> oh, in a mirage in the right. desert. Right, I remember that. Uh, but we will have to be- have this debate a second time, <laughs> <laughs> so we should litigate this now. <laughs> All right, it's a cool effect. We'll we'll let mm-hmm. it ride. It's got yeah. some questionable, somehow morning light, yeah, comped sky action, yeah very interesting because then they race and now it's broad daylight yeah i mean there's a lot of discrepancy in terms of time of day it's not a hill i will die on they just wipe a pink hue on the camera it looks definitely, like yeah it's just a little pink. bit of a rose filter yeah right a little burgundy yeah yeah um so they get there at the same time as the other as the americans and benny and then they start racing yes but Are then, camels faster than horses okay i asked the same question and I, it's because I got to give credit to my girlfriend who watched this with me. She said, like, in the desert, oh. camels are faster because they're more equipped to run on sand than Fair. horses are. Fair. And I was like, uh, I, I've i seen this movie 15 times, and that question's always been in yeah. the back of my head. It's like, wouldn't the Americans beat them because they're on horses? No, because they're on sand. Yeah. yeah. This movie is Broken Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> this That's the thing about this movie is that Whatever it do, it is smart in answering its questions, like yeah. any like even if it's just an off thrown off line earlier in the movie, it does give you all the information you it need. Does. They right. fumble it, but the same team picks up the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they get to Hamanoptera. Um, they start digging. They start digging. Um, it's like me. He's a digger. Digging. Say the rest of the line, Jeff. Que lindo. I don't know. <laughs> I know it's que lindo something. Because nobody can finish that line. Yeah. I dare anybody, Jurassic Park cinephile, to finish that line on the spot without reading. Uh, yeah, they do start digging. and um, They're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, honestly, and the, the like excavation the in the first part of the tomb, it gets a little fuzzy for me. I kind of like... This should be really exciting and all that jazz, but they spend a lot of time like not digging. Like it'll be like, all right, we got to start working, and then it cuts to the night after they're done and they're just kind of resting and drinking, or, and then some like weird dude from the other side. I genuinely mm. struggle to remember this part of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I know before they start digging, it's like they're all setting up camp and they're talking about like where they're gonna start digging in the the fez hack guy is they're talk the americans are like do they know something we don't and oh, yeah. fez hack guy's like they're being led by a woman what does a woman know cut to that's the statue of anubis and she clearly knows she clearly knows she's smarter than you bitch <laughs> um oh yeah and they position the sun yeah and she's like positioning the, the sunbeams so they can have light in the tomb yeah and so they they dig a hole they hop down and then Evie does the like let there, and then there was light, and then and then the cue the iPad dimmer board or whatever, and it all <laughs> pops back up. Uh huh, that's a neat trick. <laughs> um, little bit of historical, like this is the I think this is where it goes to what you were saying that I also had problems with. There's not much exploring of this tomb. They no. seem to find it all very quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I when it, in t- I mean tombs are meant to be catacombs, like they're yeah. hard to navigate. Yeah, but. 
from where they start to where they end to where they're fighting the dude, like all of that, I have no map of what this tomb yeah. looks like. Yeah, the all. geography of the space makes no sense to it's me. It's gone. Yeah. They never find the sacrificial chamber, right? They do not in the initial stages. But then when they go back to rescue Evelyn, it's oh, evidently it's a very easy thing to find. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, they don't. There's not like a two second scene where they're walking past a room with two tables with chains. They're like, "Wonder what that room was used for?" Nah, and they keep moving. Yeah, yeah. No. So, mummies, my my dear. This is where they made the mummies. Um, and I think this is where they get to the first spot where the book is supposed to be. Yes. Behind like the tomb thing, statue of Anubis, and like. We gotta dig through here, and then like the first scary voices. Yeah, yeah lots of wind blowing, wind blowing, and voices, torches, footsteps, and then they turn. Ah! And, and it's, it's the, the Americans. Americans, and they're all pointing their guns at each other. <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, it happens a lot in this movie." That's my toolkit. <laughs> I might be mistaken. It's like actually, the, the three guys playing the Americans are funny. Yeah, they are pretty funny. I think they are very aware that they are disposable stereotypes and play it up as much as they can. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They get. The, some of the worst fate in this yes. in this oh yeah whole movie outside of like Mr. Bug Warden guy and then also Benny's fate at the end is actually pretty, pretty gruesome pretty gnarly well it's just ugh. deserved I, I mean would you rather be eaten by bugs immediately being immediately after being locked in a tomb for all eternity or sit and sulk for a while and then die I would rather be crushed by the falling pillar that's slowly crushing that's true just lie underneath it because like for like two seconds of sheer pain, then it's over, mm-hmm. then you're done. That's, That's probably what I would do. But nah, anyway, not um, really a good way to do it. No, <laughs> there's not no, really. There's no like winning way to die in no. a tomb. No, no, not really at all. Uh, so then they have a talk about like, hey, like this is our it's like push off. This is our dig site. We got here first. I saw it. <laughs> uh, this is a good bit when they're like going yeah. up against. It's like. So they decide they're gonna they're gonna do the old one two, and they go one level deeper. Yeah, Evelyn's <laughs> like, now children, up. it's like we if we're going to dig, we must learn to share. And she looks at Rick. There are other places to dig. Wink, wink, wink. Looking down and seeing yeah. all this stuff, and they dig up. Yeah, um, yeah. There's like a a few little dialogue scenes mm-hmm. um, interspliced within the sequence, but I think we can just kind of summarize the sequence. Yeah, I mean it. We get a lot of we get like the relationship growing between Rick and Evie. We learn a little more about why Evie wants to be here instead. Her parents were explorers. Yeah, and she wants to like follow in their footsteps, right? And make her mark on like the architectural, um, intellect world. Yeah, again, main character. Yeah, it her she has an arc in this movie. Rick O'Connell does not. Yeah, Rick O'Connell is there to service the plot. Yeah. I think it's around this time we also get the first like Stormtrooper S sequence where it's like all of the Egyptian workers like working away at the tomb and the yeah. Fez hack guys like Sienna, Sienna, yeah. and they all melt with acid. Yes, they are melted. They are melted. Yes, a bad way to go. This is like would not do it. This is the Dothraki problem. Yeah, <laughs> they seem to never run out of Egyptian workers. More keeps popping up. There's that, a respawn point at Hamadaptra. Not only are they excellent diggers, they're also warriors who can like shoot weapons yeah apparently <laughs> very multifaceted they're they're jack of all trades yeah Man. i wonder what they're getting paid uh dirt labor yeah not enough um but the you know they do succeed they get they hit the ceiling jonathan accidentally 
knocks the sarcophagi And when down. those damn Yanks, no offense, none taken. <sighs> uh, and they find Imhotep's tomb and they pop it open. Yep. And, and everything find, is chill. And they find him. He's just really juicy inside. Well, there's the warden he's scene. He's so juicy. Because oh. the warden goes off on his own and he finds like a little embedded statue of a guy and with like the little bug jewel things on it. Yeah. And so we think they're just jewels. So fetch a fine mighty price. It's, uh, it's a creepy scene. It's yeah. something that always bothered me. Well, not bothered me, but it like made me uncomfortable as a kid watching the movie. Yeah. I, this is probably an on my list of movies that I was surprised my parents let me watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I could not watch the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Don't know why. Jeff, if he said a fine addition to my collection, <laughs> then I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Where do you go from there? You just hear. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, the yeah the jewel bug opens up to a real scarab, and it eats, digs goes, into his shoe, and then eats his brain. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to think it probably went into his brainstem, yeah, being crazy, and then he. They got the nice CGI bulge. Yeah. It's like coming up his like torso yeah. and blah, crazy. It's nice. Pretty gnarly. Uh. But yeah, so that then they find the sarcophagus. They realize the key is going to fit in there. And then that's when they discover the warden. And it's when they they don't open it right then, but they, um, I think they, or do they open it? No, yeah, they do open it. There's a lot of like back and forth scenes yeah. in the there, tomb. It does go back and forth yeah. a lot mm-hmm. because the Americans find the Book of the Damned. Everybody comes out, they sleep, they have the whole I am a librarian no, I'm scene. A librarian, yes. And then they still have to go back in. Yeah. But well, that's because mm-hmm. that she grabs the Book of the Damned. I don't know if I'm skipping over too much. She grabs the Book of the Damned, she steals it, she steals the key, opens it, recites it. The guy's like, you mustn't read from the book. And then <laughs> Locust yeah. all like go and completely terrorize the camp so everybody then rushes into the tomb yeah so now they're back in with emotep's corpse yeah but this time they can't go out to the camp because the locusts yeah. have taken over there's yeah. like a few the magi show up at one point and warn them not oh to, yeah. yeah that's not it's not like that no important. more bloodshed it's not really that, go away yeah they're just like don't do it you're gonna do bad things and they do yeah and they do it um, and now we have Looks now we get so, to the real juice of the movie, so which is the mummy is now juicy. Uh, now the mummy is now free. The mummy is now free. Yes, which is where this movie like just starts cranking. Yeah, we've now dialed it up to ten. Mm-hmm. It does take a little bit for us to get here, but it it didn't necessarily feel yeah. like it was dragged. I feel like a, a big thing that helps this movie is um, I'm a fan of the Jerry Goldsmith score. Mm, yeah, uh, I think too. it does a pretty good job like establishing tension through all those earlier tomb things. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of the, oh, oh, <laughs> like walking through crazy tunes. Yeah, before it trans- transitions into the Matrix score. Yeah, at the end, it does get a little Matrixy when, like, the, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's good. I like the score. Yeah, the locusts come and they get, they go into the tomb. Emotep's alive. And that's when uh, we get the classic Velma bit of like they're all running through and one of the Americans like trips over his glasses falls like my glasses, my glasses. I can't see without my and then his glasses. are. This broken. dude is is doesn't blind. need glasses. Yeah, <laughs> he he's needs, just blind. He needs like surgery. <laughs> yeah, which is why it's surprising to me that then Emotep isn't blind as shit because he takes right. his eyes. Right. <laughs> Emotep put <little> little glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he has it to wear could... <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Arnold Oslo putting glasses on and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been kind of a fun plot point for them to make the dude with the glasses you can't see. He takes his eyes and is kind of like 
you know, inhibited by that, but no. Corridor Here's, crew, I challenge you, CGI the ooh. entire movie by putting glasses on our yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I guarantee you the reason, I'm sure that that came up uh, at some point. And I guarantee you the reason they didn't want to do that is because then the mummy would have to do the... Oh. Which is what happened to Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, oh. And they probably did not want that. Because they said they very much did not want the mummy to be slow in this movie. Because like most iterations of the mummy are a slow amble. Yeah. And the mummies at the end of this movie do do that because they have no eyes. Well, Imhotep is powerful as shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's a scary dude. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Imhotep looks pretty cool. Like, the CG monster yeah. looks cool yeah. yeah i think it like it it's noticeably cgi but i still think it's effectively creepy yeah yeah oh yeah he dries off yeah he dries. that's my only complaint is that you the cga monster is pretty dry he's not gooey he would dry off pretty quick you think so yeah i don't know he comes out of the tomb looking pretty gooey and juicy and then the yeah, moment because he, he hasn't been exposed to air i guess that's also true yeah when he gets exposed to air it's like your body decomposes like a quick. raisin Oxygen. Yeah, like a raisin air doesn't agree with him Cranking him with the crystal skull. Yeah, <laughs> that was just for you. Yeah, that was you. just for you. Cranking him the crystal skull, a good movie. All right, so <laughs> not gonna litigate that. But um, he doesn't really heal himself very much from Mister Blind Glasses guy. Yeah, he just gets eyes. He, he gets, gets his eyes, eyes and, and a tongue. tongue. Mm-hmm. And a tongue. Eat my tongue. Eat my tongue. tongue. It's gruesome. Yeah, it's pretty effed up. Yeah. But then Evelyn, so they're 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 running. The gang is running down in the tombs, and they're being chased by the scarabs. And then Evelyn gets trapdoored into a different place. Oh yeah. And I love the way that they trapdoor her into another place. So like the door opens, but then it cuts to another spot, and we don't see a door open and her come through. No, she just comes from off camera. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very much like we're not gonna pay for two trap doors. We're just gonna like bounce her off yeah. camera. Yeah. Into the spot, and that's where Emotep yeah. is. She encounters Emotep. Who calls her Anxun? Okay, I want to litigate this real quick. It's spelled A N C K dash S U dash A M U N. In some they're always saying Anak. Yeah, it's uh, it's Anak, so it's Ank, kind of, but it's just yeah. like pronounced fast. So Anak, Ank, Anxunamun. It should be Anxunamun, right? But everyone's Anxun- saying. I mean, Anxunamun. I I trust them that that is the correct way to pronounce it if that's how they say it in the movie. I think it's just the speed of which you're saying yeah. it. You add the uh. Anxunamun. But if you're, if you're saying so, it'd be like Anxunamun. Mm-hmm. But it's like Anxunamun. Anxunamun. Kinda. Yeah. That's how yeah. I sort okay. of think about yeah. it. Anxunamun. Stamped. Guilty. Move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anxunamun. So, Anxunamun. Um, tries to kiss her and then Brendan Fraser comes out meow and he no that doesn't so, happen so yeah. many people try to kiss Rachel Weisz in this yes. movie yeah. mostly mummies mostly dead people like what is this uh, I mean you did ask her to sit on your face so you can understand the uh, the impetus I just I still have trouble with them painting Rachel Weisz as this like strong like very intelligent woman who's basically riding like carrying this entire escapade on her back mm. as still a damsel in distress yeah. who just needs to get the guy mm. you know yes like to to emotep she's just a conduit of meat yes to, to give get to his love yes but then he keeps likening her to anaxa moon and i just i Mm-hmm. There's no story purpose to that, yeah, in my yeah. opinion, or character purpose for that. 
She's a little underserved in the second half of the movie. She's very yeah, underserved. Very the first underserved. half of the movie where first it's half, more great. exploration based. Yeah. It's her and then second half it goes more Rick O'Connell for the action. It's a shoot 'em up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, but Rick runs into the room, the mummy goes, <laughs> And then shoots it with a shotgun. Anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they all run out of the tomb. And uh, they the come magi. across the Magi, who are like, you fucking idiots. You <laughs> We've been watching this shit for 2,000 years. We step away to take a piss for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will bro brought him back. Yeah. They were so keen on killing anybody who walked into Hominoptera. Yeah. And yeah. because Rick pulled out a dynamite, they're like, all right, all right, all right, all right. You got one just, day. Just don't do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one day. And then all it took was one day to fuck mm-hmm. it up. Uh, so then they're like, I'm going to go hunt the creature and try to find a way to stop him. It's like, I got him. And he's like, you don't understand. No mortal weapon can kill this being. So he, he's, he's invincible. Yeah. Um, And then they, yeah, we, it, the one cool shot, they're, they're leaving Hominoptera. And then the camera tilts down to the sand, and then you just see the hand <laughs> come yeah. through the sand. And it's like a practical hand. Oh, we got cool. the Benny bit. Oh, yeah, Benny times up with the mummy. Oh, yeah, with all the different yeah, uh, languages. Because he starts re- pulling out a crucifix, and he starts like reciting like a, a Christian prayer. He's like, oh, no, no, okay, okay. Uh, and then starts reciting like uh, uh, Islam prayer, and then it goes to Buddhist, and then it's Hebrew. This has always been a fascinating little historical thing for me because I'm fascinated about like biblical history. Yeah. Is there like, was there like solid, um, uh, card? Like, how do I like, so I've actually, I've watched this movie before and I had the same question and I looked it up and I'm confirming this now by looking it up again. There is no historical evidence of, that Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. Yes. Okay. I it's always, entirely based on the Bible. Right. Yeah. Um, but not a true uh, incidence but now of they're, history. Because they're also, like, he unleashes the ten plagues of Egypt. Not an Egyptian concept. That's yeah. a Jewish Biblical concept. concept. Yeah. They, those are both things that were put in the Bible that did not happen in ancient Egyptian history. Right. Um, that this movie is transposing. Yeah. I see. It's just yeah. yeah, it's been it's a whole thing. Like he brings back the ten plagues of Egypt. Like yeah. the original are, person who brought back the ten plagues of Egypt was a was a was a Hebrew yeah. figure. Yes. It wasn't anybody who was Egyptian at all. Yeah, because it was the It wasn't even Moses, the Egyptian gods. Yeah. The whole point of it was to show that the Hebrew god was stronger than the Egyptian gods. Yeah. So it makes no sense <laughs> that, he's like, that an Egyptian harbinger of death would bring back Hebrew miracles. <laughs> Uh, you're correct. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what else to tell I'm you. You're right. So, like, like, why does this make sense? To the the plagues are like just an easy thing that people can understand. Yeah, like it works. Sure. And then the um, but the even whole... when Jonathan <clears throat> recites the passage yeah. of the plague, he's reciting from the fucking Bible. Because <laughs> <laughs> when they look up and the eclipse goes over the sun, he says, and he outstretched his hand and casted darkness over him. That's from the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> That's from Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because this movie is entirely based in myth. Um, so it can make, it makes sense that like, it's just a they're pick not, and choose cap- they're not cafe very buffet. like, they're, they're not very choosy about their myths. It's a buffet of religious beliefs. Have yeah. what you want. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we'll just we'll act like the Jews or were the were slaves of the Egyptians. You know, people generally think that from the Bible, so we'll just we'll put it in here. Yeah, 
because that's what Benny does. He talks yeah. in, uh, you know, um, Hebrew, but there's a there's a more like correct term for the language. Yeah, it's um, Aramaic. Is that no. what it is? No. Um, I think we could just say Hebrew. Okay, Hebrew. Yeah. Um, um, and that's when Imhotep's like the language of the seas. Yeah, I may have some use for you. You can be a, a literal I walking like the Google Benny Translate. Imhotep, uh, buddy cop part. It's good. It's good. Um, a buddy cop. Part. I love. I love it. They're cracking down the kids. <laughs> <laughs> is it a good cop, bad cop scene when it He's comes like, to the guys with no eyes and no tongue? And at some point, Benny just says, "I serve him, so I'm immune." And he goes, "Immune to what?" And then all the Imhotep zombies come in, and we gotta glaze over that. I want to litigate that. I want to litigate that so badly. I Skipped over a lot just then, but but the Benny like has a contract, like an unspoken contract. It is better to be at the right hand of the devil than in his path. A good line. Why so many bangers in this movie? Yep, a good line. A good line from Benny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we are back in Cairo. Yeah, yeah, they go back yeah, to the back they go back to the, the British Ka- fort in Cairo. Yes. Yeah, and they're like, we gotta get out of here. Yeah, but the boat doesn't leave till tomorrow morning. Dun dun dun. Mm. Which is my favorite thing that Evie lives in the British fort. It's yeah. like I presume all British, you know, immigrants or you know, live in British visitors forts. probably live yeah. in the British fort in Cairo. Yeah. They mm-hmm. wouldn't live in the city in this time. Um, but I do like they keep being like, we need to go back to the safety of the fort, and the mummy just keeps coming into the fort. <laughs> 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 they're, they're very they're like how do you get in he's like the window again <laughs> this is how we get introduced to winston the best yes. character in this movie. oh my god i'm a winston truther <laughs> winston uh it's like rick i should have died along with the laddies they all had glorious deaths like, and now i'm just swallowing in boredom and, and booze, booze. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's my favorite part of this movie is that like when Winston goes down later, like it's he's going down. Like yeah. he's not trying to save Here them. I come, ladies! Well, <laughs> no, they tell him like you're probably not gonna make yeah. it. This is a deadly mission. Yeah. He goes, Say no more. Yeah. They literally have like they're like, the best we could get is a suicidal former RAF pilot. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they have to quickly yeah. go back to yeah. Hominoptera, and it has to happen on a plane because it yeah. took them probably multiple yeah. days like, to get there. And the plane's having some problems, and I'm sure, like, a pilot who wanted to live would have been like, I'm pulling up! Once it's like, I got my Oh I love gosh. how Winston in the front seat didn't survive the crash, but then the two people on the wings of the <laughs> goddamn plane are, are totally unscathed. fine. They don't even have broken bones. They're fine. No, yeah. Jeez, I, so. I definitely skipped a little further, but Winston yeah. is a lovely character. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're waiting on the bow, and then the, Evelyn... The Great War ended. Yeah, mm-hmm. Evelyn's talking to Rick about saving the world, and Rick's like, I I served your contract. It's terminated. I'm We're, we're leaving. And it's like, whatever. Uh, then we get the scene where Benny has Emotep in a nice like outfit with a mask. Like it's very menacing. I wish they used that more. Probably would have saved some money. Yeah, right. it's like big cloak. Yeah, and he's like Prince Emotep, which is to thank you for your hospitality and for your eyes Ooh. and for your oh. tongue. Oh, no. They like, can really just like it's kind of mean to this guy. Come are. back to finish the job. I think when he just walked in there and like just sucked his he soul or something. A <laughs> like, 
they, they could have gone in there that? and just like ripped that guy's head off or something instead they had to do this like whole show and dance routine yeah and they're like, the he was the only one he did have a teacup <laughs> he has a little teacup <laughs> oh my god <laughs> this is the what presumably he had to like open his like quarter door and be like oh gosh please come in and sit down do you need some tea oh no oh yes Imotep, how would you like your tea pretends to whisper because Emotep can't speak English. So it's like, Emotep would like some green tea, but with no honey, you know, particularly no honey. Okay, gosh, this pleasantry like, is only allotted for Mr. Glass's guy. The rest yeah, of them, they like, bang the door down. They're like, suck their yep. souls We're out gonna of We're going to rip your life from your body gruesomely. We're going to give you a good time before. <laughs> It's like when you're in, on like death row and they're like, you know, whatever you want What's to eat. What's your last meal? Tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, why does Emotep need Benny as a translator when they only spend one day or like one instance where Benny's a translator and the dude speaks English? He doesn't even speak Hebrew. So what is this language of the slaves bullshit? <laughs> I don't know. Benny's a C-3PO, I guess. I don't, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so then he like cuts to another bit where they're all dr- taking shots at a bar. And then they spit it out, and it's like, oh, that tasted like... Brendan Fraser, badass, drops the glass. What? And then Jonathan recites from the Bible again, and the rivers ring red like blood. Yes. Sorry, I'm just really, really... Well, we we already established that Jonathan's very bad at history, so right. he would be quoting, misquoting the wrong... Right. But it's really, it's a motif. Ra and Osiris and all of them, they made a deal with uh, Jehovah over there. They're just like, hey, so like. Can we borrow your miracles? Can we borrow your miracles for a little bit? We've got some shit we got to do. Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Uh, just give me credit, bro. Yeah. Keyword Copy starts cred. with an I. Yeah. You know? They run upstairs. <laughs> the picture of all the flames coming down from the sky. It it's says, copyright. It says, PC Jehovah. <laughs> Spelled with an I, of course. Um, they run upstairs and they see uh, the guy like drained on, on his chair. And they look up and they see Emotep like regenerating like before their very eyes. Yeah. And uh, a quick little fight breaks out. And then a cat gets on the piano. Yeah. And Emotep then proceeds to scream in fear transform into Sandman, Spider-Man 3 style, Flint Marco, and then leaves. Yeah. Um, oh, the cats are the guardians of the dead. He's going to fear them until, until he's, he's fully not, regenerated. Yeah. yeah. I also like, love the trope of a big bad. Instead of just like going around and like literally clawing heads off and killing people instantly by stabbing them, ripping their hearts out, that they always just throw people against walls throw people yeah. against each nothing other nothing lethal like nothing lethal it's like every time it's just people getting launched we we yeah we this dude has like a punch of like a thousand newtons and he could literally just go up to rick o'connell like yeah, yeah. that's it that's it they and came that would over be the movie. that'd been the movie but no it said he's like we we just gotta constantly <laughs> throw people so they're prone right and then he can do whatever you want i don't know grab evie and leave yeah mm-hmm. exactly then they, they go in this like fucking Looney Tunes routine of leaving Evie in the room multiple times, and the mommy keeps coming back to the same fucking room. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, we got to go out looking for the guys that he's hunting after. Yeah. That's where we get another day for night scene, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he gets sucked. 
Oh no. He gets sucked off uh, gets real <laughs> real bad. He gets I mean sucked to oblivion. My man is down bad. <laughs> <laughs> he gets sucked off real hard. The by a two thousand year old mummy. The scream sound bite that they use yeah. is like <laughs> and they look out and you just see like a hooded figure turn over and it's like gnarly emotep again the horrific yeah. day for night this shit. is i think the creepiest emotep look when it's like it kind, starts kind of looking yeah humanish, but like fleshy very icky yeah yeah and it, i think it's while the day for night doesn't look good i think it's smart because it like covers a lot of the qualities up so the cj doesn't have to look that perfect mm. yeah. and then we don't see him in the look ever again because yeah. the next time he just Flint Marcos into the room, lifts the guy into the air, suckles him down, yeah. and then drops like his corpse. That's Eats Mr. him like Bourbon. a turkey leg. Yeah, what? that's Mr. Bourbon. Like, uh, if he can do that, Sand is the ultimate cheat code for villains. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Like, Yeah, I mean, he sneaks through the keyhole and then... That's a good bit. Vice. That is sneaks through the keyhole. Bit. The keyhole bit's really good. And, then, and by that time, he's like, he's Arnold Vosloo, but yeah. like... He's got a couple CGI like rotting yeah. strips. Oh, then a fucking bug crawls out of the hole in his oh, neck. And he eats goes it. into the hole in his cheek yeah. and then he chews it. It is my least. That uh, is. I thought that was funny. Hundred percent did not it. need that. Oh, I loved it so much. Uh, I was like, yeah, let's go. Uh, uh, Jonathan and and Rick find uh, Benny in the Egyptologist's office and, and he discover throws he throws a chair at him. <laughs> it's very good. Benny. Benny, spring cleaning. <laughs> throws a chair. And that's where he pretty much figures out his whole plan. That he's yeah. got a yeah. dead girlfriend who he wants to raise from the dead. Uh, and he has to use Evie as a sacrifice. And yeah, yeah. that's pretty much it. And we figured, we figured it. it out. Yeah. yeah. Good job, And guys. then that's when he says, as long as I obey, I'm immune. Immune to what? Emotive. Um, yeah. cue, cue the zombie horse. We got, we got, we're going to litigate that when we get to it. I have a lot of beef with that part. <laughs> Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so we cut back to the room. Evie's on the bed asleep. I guess she just quit trying. (laughs) (laughs) She gave up on the escaping. She gave up and fell asleep. There's a murdering mummy out looking for them. And she's like, this is a perfect time for a nap. <laughs> okay. All right. It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It really is fine. No, yeah. she's asleep on the bed. And then uh, Emotep does a keyhole move. Yeah. Um, I'm still not over the fact that he literally just went through the window, picked the guy up, suckled him dry, and tossed him like a yeah. like a towel. Yeah. That to me <laughs> folded just... him like laundry. <laughs> um. He literally just like disrespected that man yeah. so much. The dude's just like sitting like. Okay. Never got his bourbon. They they afforded the first guy the courtesy of his tea and could not let this man have his bourbon. (laughs) No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. Um, Um, But they, right, he kisses Evie with his disgusting decomposing mouth, mouth. which rots more when he kisses her. Yeah, it's real grody. It's nice. Um, I wish that would happen to me. What? I mean, you want a corpse? And get you a corpse anyway, at three o'clock this uh, afternoon. Evie freaks out, and then Rick, 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 uh, Brick bashes through the doors. He's like, "Hey!" And he holds up a cat. Oh, looking for this? Meow. And the cat goes, <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and he turns into sand and flies out the window. Admittedly, a very scary looking cat. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. 
They should honestly get, you know, those backpacks that people wear now with their cats inside. Oh, like the little globe? <laughs> yeah. Just give one to each of the Americans. Just give one to set. each of the Americans. They're fine. Well, that was their greatest weapon and they don't use the cat when they get into the tomb. I would have taken the cat everywhere. Yeah, exactly. They don't do it. They dropped their biggest weapon. Mm-hmm. They did. Fumbled it. They did. Uh, they go to the, they all go to the Egyptology Museum. Yeah. To link because... up with the Evie's boss and the Magi. And they find out that he's been working for the Magi the whole time. What? Pretty cool. And they, they look at some ancient tablet and they determine that the Bembridge scholars got it wrong. And that if the Book of the Dead was underneath the statue of Anubis, Anubis. the statue of, or the Book of Amun-Ra, which is the Book of Life, would be underneath the statue of Horus. Yeah. So, like, we got to go back to Hamanoptera, get that book, because that book can take life away that has been given. Which, pause. Anubis, if my mystery serves right, is the Egyptian god of the dead. Yes. Yeah. So, but the Bembridge scholars suck. The Bembridge was... scholars are awful. <laughs> like, of course, the, yeah, uh, god of the dead. And then Horus is. There is, is that the eagle? Yes. Yeah. Horus God. Uh, or Hawk. Something. Squaw! <laughs> um, as Horus once said. Squaw! Squaw! <laughs> I think what is... They don't say what Horus is the god of. I think he's just like Zeus. Kinda. I think he's like the top one. Yeah, he's the top one. Well, I thought Ra was the top one. Oh. I mean, I think Ra is the sun, right? Ra is the sun. Yeah. Imagine you're like an ancient Egyptian. You just like look at the sun. You're like, that's God. That's every single religion, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just, it's just every cool. single it's just, religion. It's just, like it must have been crazy. Like you just like you look up and you're like, there's Before God. Before we knew what balls of gas were, it was yeah. just looking up, looking at a dot on the sky, and saying like, that's a God. That's a God. That's a God. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Like God's just there. Like, you're just yeah. looking at him. Right. Uh. So yeah. And then we get the zombies. Yeah. The zombies, right. the Emotep. pestilence, Emotep. and sores yeah. that then infest their Emotep. brains. Emotep. Yeah. So why need a mummy horde when you've got fully bodied zombies? Yeah, and why wasn't Rick, Evelyn, Jonathan, Adar, the professor, the other American, and anybody else affected by this? Yeah. Except the entire population of Cairo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. Benny's immune. He said he was immune, but they're not immune. Right. And at some point, like, they're driving through the horde and all these, like, zombies are on top of them. Part of me was just like, it should have been a plot point that they would risk being taken over mentally by this, like, Emotep curse. Because they were, like, getting slobbered and stabbed and, like, all sorts of stuff by these these guys. It's like, uh, like a boil pops and the pus lands on you and this you're is like, the rated ah! r version i'm i'm you guessing that the curse only applies to like native egyptians in cairo in some weird like people who would be servants of emotep if he were back in command there's I, some odd technicality to it i know they had to speed things up I don't. The horde didn't do much to advance Emotep's plans here. Not very much. Mm-hmm. Like I think he would have gotten Evie either way. Yeah, this is one of the cool chase scene in the the roosters. Right. What if he had everyone on the earth under his mind control? Seems like he was capable of that. I said to Becca, 
you know, imagine if the Americans had made it back to America. Emotep would logically have to follow them. Emotep talking, goes to America. I'm talking <laughs> the mummy takes Manhattan. He's <laughs> 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 just, like, just like walking around Times Square. <laughs> he's like taking pictures. Well, that's how we get the the mummy and Night at the Museum crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rami Malek shows up. Yeah. Are you guys aware that a fourth Night at the Museum movie just came out? What? No. Um, it is Without Robin it Williams? It is animated. So oh. There's none of the same cast. It is called the Night at the Museum Kamun Ra Rises Again. Um, it's on Disney+. Plus. That's not a real movie. It's not. It doesn't exist in my it, The animation is borderline disastrous looking. Yeah, it's who, not a real movie. Who wanted this movie? This is what this movie looks like. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Anyway. Uh, anyway. That's just the thing I want you guys to be aware of. So they get in the car and they're running away from the horde and the, they're running over people left and right, just crushing uncles and mothers and fathers. Mr. And, Boss Man is there. Yeah. And he's swinging a sword around, I think. They they, they manage, they put the American in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. He gets taken. And fucking course, he's the one that gets yanked off the back of the car. <laughs> and, you know, if I were them and I was like, if he takes you, he's invincible, yeah. right? So, like, you make that guy your most prized possession. But when they pull the guy off the car, they just keep speeding away. Like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. And so the dude, like, pulls out his guns and starts blasting. And the horde's, like, running by. And then eventually it all stops. And that's when Emotep comes and sucks him dry. I mean, do they ever verbally establish that they realize that these Americans who have the sacred jars? I think so, yeah. Yeah, do they say that? I mean, because as a movie watcher or moviegoer, you kind of, you know, you just determine. Well, you also see him regenerate. Well, I guess after the first guy, they see the guy, he's dead. They look up, he's regenerating. Then that's probably the two and two moment. There's also a scene when they're at the bar where... Rick talks to one of the Americans like, how are you guys doing? It's like, we well, don't have a corpse hunting after you. So how do you think we're doing? Mm-hmm. That's true. So they, they kind of like are fully aware of that. So Okay. So even further to your yeah. point, they're aware of this and they so still just let this dude go. They're fully aware of who's being hunted. They even have a discussion. There's a scene where they talk about who was in the room when the box was open because <laughs> they say, what about Benny? No, he was smart. He ran out of the room. So they know who the four are. Yeah. <laughs> I would also like to say that they're like, oh, that's the last plague. We skipped quite a few. Yeah. yeah. There are 10 plagues. We got, I'm looking at the list right now, straight from the Bible. It's the turning water to blood, which happens. We skip over frogs. Yeah, it's not exciting. We don't get frogs. Yeah. We skip over lice and or gnats. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we skip over wild animals or flies. That doesn't happen. Wild or? animals or flies? Or we, flies? Or flies. <laughs> Are we talking RRR or are we talking... I thought there was there like the cattle are all dying or something like that. Yeah, like... Livestock. Yeah. And, um, um, the that? fourth plague of the year was of creatures capable of harming people and livestock. Like animals and flies just came in and started attacking. The the or is due to different translations of the Bible. Uh, uh, depending on which version you're reading. Right. Uh, which mixtape you're, you're going with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last one is, the fifth one is Pestilence of Livestock. We don't get that. Maybe these things just happened off screen. Like there's no reason for them to cut to a bunch of cows dying in a, in a uh, field. Jeez, no wonder they couldn't shoot in Egypt. Uh, boils, we do get. 
We do get Thunderstorm of Hail and Fire. We do yeah. get Locusts. And we get the Darkness for three days. We skip over the final one, which is Death of Firstborn Son. Maybe that did happen off screen. It would have just really no, sucked. None, of, none of our characters are Firstborn yeah. Sons. Jeff, you're the first and only born. I'm a Firstborn Son. Yeah, yeah I'd be I a Firstborn Son. I'd be dead. Mm. Do you guys there Emotep knocking on your door? There's like someone who did like a whole article about that if the plagues happened in the way that they did, that there actually is a scientific reason why how it all happened. Mm. How like the blood in the river is that not blood? It's a red algae. Yeah. And mm. that infected like the bugs, which infected the livestock, which infected like the food and the people. And there's a bunch of weather stuff you gotta account for. And then what was very the, the the cherry on top of the whole theory is that the death of the firstborns. So in like Egypt, Egyptian culture, the firstborns always got, always got the lion's share of like the meals. So when they were eating like infected meat, basically without knowing it, that's why the firstborns all, all died. Whoa. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So you can yeah. find like the historical story. Yeah. For all this. started with algae. All started with algae <laughs> in the water. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, 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 you know, it would have to all like correlate with a thunderstorm of hail and fire, which could just be a really bad thunderstorm, just biblically written, and mm -hmm. then a, a solar eclipse. Yeah. Those are two probably improbable things that have to like all happen in the same time frame, but. Yeah. But yeah. There's, I mean, a lot of the things in the Bible are condensed. Yeah. Like it will be a bunch of things that happen like 200 years apart and there's like. Yeah. Put them yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's just very, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. The ecological, yeah, uh, thread of it. All. I like to think Emotep was thinking algae. Yeah, he's like algae, angstuna algae. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Evie's oh, Evie. Yeah, yeah. I think we're like well over two hours. Yes, we are. Um, so at this point, we'll, we'll. I mean, we're we're basically near the end. They go. They find a manhole, and they're all waiting around and. Um, what's his name? Emotep is like, if you Eve to Evie, if you come with me, <laughs> I'll, I'll spare, spare your it. friends. Yeah, and she's like, you better find that book and get and rescue me because if I turn into a mummy, you're the first. It's the first time I'm coming after. <laughs> Why are you Australian? <laughs> oh, first I'm going after, isn't it? <laughs> so she goes, if you can't get out of it, get into it. Um, so she, so she goes with him. She goes with Emotep, and then the rest of them jump into the manhole, uh, except for um. Eric um, Avari, who makes the pointless sacrifice. Yeah, <laughs> He's he like, go! <laughs> he pulls out his sword and just jumps at all the horde, immediately taken. Yeah. There was, Rick's like, come in the hole! No! <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of them are like just ignoring him and going towards the hole. Yeah. He said, he bought them no time. He could have jumped in and made it. Yeah. Um, but he dies. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they go, they link up with Winston. He's yeah. like, oh, chance to die in the air. Yeah, stand for God's huh? <laughs> and so while they're flying like business class, Evelyn and Benny are all are flying this weird sand turbine. <laughs> yeah, they're in engine. like a tornado. <laughs> the, like however long you're in like a twirling spiral sandy pit of death, there's got to be like brain damage yeah. and also like sand. They're basically getting sandblasted. Well, if he has, if he has painful, he clearly has the ability to shape sand. Yeah. So he can just like create a little box of hard sand that they're in and then like hold it within the center Jeff, of the spiral. Jeff. This movie's broken arrow, but it's not that I'm much saying this arrow. movie provides no reason that couldn't happen. 
That's fair. Give me a reason that he couldn't do that. The fact that a mummy returns, they have to take a train. Well, that's because he doesn't feel like doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things introduced that mummy returns that. I'm not going to lie, kind of like make you question a few things in the first movie. The Mummy Returns is a very strange movie. It is a very strange movie, yes. but it works. Kind of. At parts. There are zombie Ewoks. <laughs> Explain <laughs> that one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, Brendan Fraser outruns the sun. Yes, <laughs> the Mummy does Returns. outrun the sun in the Mummy <laughs> Uh, oh, that's right. Stuart, don't forget, we do have to talk about Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon, everyone, where there are yetis and dragons. Yep. Weird movie. Weird oh. movie. Um, Jet Li. All right, so <laughs> they get to Hamanoptera. Yeah. Um, Emotep does, and they see the little plane flying down. Winston's like, Den 4, I shall die in the sands where I belong. And you're like, no, e- what do you so much does to live like for? a sand wall move where it like yeah. encompasses the plane, and they're all screaming. He tries to shoot at the sand. Yeah. yeah. He shoots so many useless bullets in this movie. Yeah. I, I saw some tweet where it was like um, uh, conservatives buying weapons, dur- uh, shooting <laughs> at the hurricane in 2020. <laughs> Idiots. Brennan Fraser shooting at a sand cloud in 1999. This Genius. fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you know, though. You know how much this bullet cost? <laughs> the cost of one British bullet. Oh, man. Yeah. RRR. Watch RRR if you haven't. Good folks. movie. A um, better movie. Great movie. Uh, uh, so they crash, but everyone survives except for Winston. Yeah, who like wanted to die, so good for him. Yeah, <laughs> he, he sinks into the sand, and Rick does a nice little salute. There's like this little British like... Yeah. Winston we... literally just a character who survived Lawrence of Arabia and like, <laughs> just trying to get out. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to Amanoptra, and we're at the sacrificial chamber. Yes. Uh... Evelyn is chained up next to a corpse. Of Anxuna Moon. Of Anxuna Moon. Looking a little crusty. <laughs> Very crusty. <laughs> yeah. Um, Emotep revives all his priests. Yes. Who are hanging out. And they're all like... These bones. are mummy mummies. Yes. Yeah. They These look, are like the they look slow moving. awesome. They're they're stunt people. Like, they're, they're no CGI. They're, they're stunt people. They look awesome. Yeah. They're, they're it's great. cool. They're yeah. like, I love mummies. Mummies are cool. Yeah. When they finally be. commit to a non-CGI mummy, it's yeah. really good. I would like to be a mummy one day. Uh, isn't mummification very unpleasant? Well, I'll be dead, so... I know, but it's... But then I want to be revived, and like I want to chase after people in museums. Oh, that's... That's where I'm trying to go here. Not what I thought you were saying. First, you wanted to be one of the water people. Now you want to be a mummy? Yeah, what is it, Jeff? What? Make up your mind. <laughs> got options. I got options. Okay. Uh, so... This is when Adar, Rick, and Jonathan go through the catacombs of Hamanoptera. Yeah. They're fighting um, the Priests horde of the show. priest. They find the golden book of Amun-Ra, and then there's the other, un- like... Jonathan accidentally summons, like, Imperial guards. Well, I was going to say there's the other unnecessary sacrificial play Oh, where Adar Ardeth does. Bay's like, Go! Save ah! the girl! Kill the monster! Ah! <laughs> And then they throw a dynamite in there. <laughs> he survives. He survives. Yeah. But they do get the book, and Jonathan actually summons some Imperial Guard mummies. Yeah. Um, he They attempt to kill Rick, but he Jonathan's able to deactivate them and tells them to kill Anxun Moon. Yeah. Uh, which they do. And then the, a fight breaks out between Emotep and Rick. Yes. Rick cuts off the his m- arm. music gets a little matrixy at this it point. It does get a bit matrixy. 
What is Rachel Vice doing the entire time? Tied up. Tied up, yep. yelling instructions. Yep. She at one point does get untied, but then she's then Oxuna fighting an Oxuna Moon. Not yeah. really fighting. Mm -hmm. She's kind of surviving. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I said this when we were watching the ending uh, before we started recording, but when Rick cuts off Emotep's arm and he just like does another like Kung Pao like yeah. punch, <laughs> throws him like 20 feet and then he picks up the arm and does a Henry Cavill like Yeah, I love that reload. he just like he just like cranks it back on. Cranks it, twist it like it's a righty tighty lefty loosey. It's like it's one of those like action figures where you gotta like screw it. Do you think he had on. to like put his elbow and then go like reverse the other way? And, like, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Get all the Get nerves some WD forty in there, mm -hmm. make sure it's all good and tight. Uh and then they're That's fighting. Good. And then uh, Evie gets the book of Amun Ra, and then she reads, reads from it and has a chariot. Elijah, from hell. Elijah from the chariots of fire comes down. Yeah. Another biblical aspect, where the chariots come down and take. You know, the story about Elijah and how Elijah gets like Elijah is one of the only prophets besides Jesus and Mary that gets ascended to heaven and doesn't die. Yeah. He gets like taken from a chariot of fire to mm -hmm. heaven. And I can only presume it's the same chariot of fire that comes down and takes the soul or whatever of Emotep. Presumably. Yeah, I I would buy it. And then he's like running away, but then it disappears. And then he turns around and he's not dead. He's still fully fledged, like yeah. hunting. He's like, I thought you said I was going to kill him. Emotep comes forward and then he's mortal. And he dies. And Emotep. He says, goes he into says, the pool of the says, damned. I feel cold. <laughs> it is really that moment. Yeah, it is. It's like the same bit as the Barbosa death. Yeah. yeah. Also gets stabbed in the torso. Mm -hmm. Right? Barbosa. Barbosa gets shot. Yeah. He gets oh, shot. that's right. That's right. He does get stabbed, but multiple times, and he doesn't stabbed, die. and then ting. Yeah. It's a good, good, good uh, moment in the movie. He stabs uh, Jack Sparrow, mm -hmm. and then he lunges back into the moonlight, yeah. and like. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> anyway. Um, he goes into the pool of the damned and he, he starts He turns rotting. back into a mummy. Yeah. yeah There's all gross. these little, like, little faces pulling him down. Ugh. He says, oh. in ancient Egypt, death is only the beginning and then falls into the pool. He says, catch me in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to you in 2001. Yeah, he practically could have just said that. And that was <laughs> pretty really much the only thing. Because <laughs> it just goes, Rachel Weisz just goes, death is only just the beginning. All right. In 2001. Yep. Coming to you on DVD, whatever that old intro is. In. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then they, Benny then unleashes a lever that starts the self-destruct countdown for <laughs> Amanoptra. <laughs> it's like almost like space balls when he like hits his helmet into the button. Yeah. <laughs> and the mega maid has to blow up. <laughs> Um, so they're running through the catacombs. Benny put a lot of treasure on the camel. That's important to know. Mm -hmm. um, and they're running through. Benny doesn't make it. He gets stuck in the tomb, eaten by the scarabs. Yeah. Poor R Benny. Nah, he deserved it. He did. He earned it. Mm -hmm. he He's still grody. He earned that death. I mean, Evie says that yeah. they always get theirs. They always yeah. get their comeuppance. Yeah. Yep. Always. Always. Uh, but they make it out. They get on, they get on the camels. And then Adar shows up he's like you have the respect of my people thank you and then leaves he says don't we'll do that you. shit again i'll see you in two years <laughs> uh evelyn and rick make out yeah it's hot it's hot 
I mean, it's literally hot. Desert. They're in the desert. Oh, it's like literally hot, but also but they're figuratively also, they're hot. hot. <laughs> it's a good uh, kiss. Jonathan is like, oh, do you want a little kissy wissy to the camel? Mm-hmm. Cool. And then they ride off into the sunset. And that's the movie. Yeah, that's the mummy. That's the. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the mummy. Emot- uh, Emotep coming in the room. Stuart, what if we got Emotep on the show? I think we could probably. I think we'll probably swing it. Jeff, we have been recording for I th- well o- two hours. We, bro- yeah, we were I'm, over I'm, two hours. I'm just been saying we could probably get him on the show if we really wanted to. Oh my gosh. I think you might know Jack, but all right, post text, Jeff. Post text. So this movie comes out May seventh of nineteen ninety nine. Eighty million dollar budget. Eighty mil- uh yeah, eighty million dollar budget. Comes out May seventh, nineteen ninety nine. It's a summer blockbuster. It gets positive reviews. Um, I want to read Roger Ebert's review of this movie, specifically this line. He said, There is within me an unslaked hunger for preposterous adventure movies. I resist the bad ones, but when a special one comes along, my heart leaps up and I cave in. The Mummy is a movie like that. There's hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even The Mummy, but I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There's a little immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us, and we should treasure it. That's a really good encapsulation of my feelings of this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then Pirates of the Caribbean comes out, and it is very much in the same wheelhouse. Mm, yeah. Like four years later. Yeah. Is it groundbreaking? Is it, like, preposterously amazing? I, like, I cannot argue for... Um, it's hardly a thing I could say it's favorite, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a movie that knows what it's doing and does it well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But in terms of uh, Stephen Summers' uh, early 2000s work, Van Helsing will have my vote. And I know that is a staunch Brennan Fraser fan that that's some fighting words, but Van Helsing is a better movie, in I my mean, opinion. We all talked about Rachel Weisz. But Kate Beckinsale. You jack. I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and our friend Benny, he shows up again. Listen, how old is Pete Davidson? Kevin O'Connor. Wait a second. <laughs> Wait. Oh. Well, no, no, I'll, I have a point here. I have a point here. How old is Pete Davidson? 93. He's two years older than me. He's 29. He dated Kate Beckinsale. Oh, really? It gave me a little hope. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Beckinsale, who mm-hmm. I think is oh, in her 40s. Probably. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway. How much movie does? How much money does this movie make? Uh, this movie makes a lot of money. Um, good. This good. movie had um, low enthusiasm going into it. There's not a lot of excitement among audiences or fans. So Universal took a hail mary pass and put a prominent uh, TV spot for this on the Super Bowl of 1999, which turned its fortunes around immediately. Oh wow! Um, it was kind of considered um, in some way a throwaway by Hollywood because it was releasing one week before The Phantom Menace. And so people were like, it has to make a lot of money in its opening weekend or this is going to be bodied immediately by The Phantom Menace. It would be um, mauled, Mm -hmm. to say it lightly. That's good. I like that. That was good. So it has a massive open weekend. It it makes $43 million in its opening weekend. Sorry. Yes. Be severed. It would be mauled. It would be uh, cut be, in half. It would be palpatined. Um, <laughs> it's the ninth biggest opening of all time. It would drop oh, wow. down a very fa- large um, chasm. At the time, since then, you know, there's been a lot more uh, upper 200 million. It does immediately like become second place behind The Phantom Menace the next weekend, but it holds a very healthy lead um, in the top five for quite some time. Mm-hmm. The week that this opens, The Mummy is number one. 
Um, also in the top five are Entrapment, The Matrix, Life, and The Election Movie. Uh, the one with Reese Witherspoon and mm. Matthew Broderick. Uh, so it's an interesting time for movies. The next week, Phantom Menace. And then The Mummy stays second behind The Phantom Menace for three more weeks until eventually Notting Hill takes that spot. Um, but like I said, the reviews for it very po- were fairly positive. Most people had the Roger Ebert approach where it's like, it's an exciting movie um, that you can take the whole family and it'll kind of make, it'll make your summer. It gives you something to be excited about. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else of a note. Uh, it's a big seller on home video. It sold 7 million, uh, 7 million VHSs. Wow. Um, in its first year. I think I owned it on VHS. We definitely owned it on VHS. Uh, this movie <clears throat> has prominent placement in the DVD Universal logo that I was a big fan of on my Jurassic Park DVDs as a kid. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, dun, dun, dun. I don't know if you know that one. If you had the Jurassic Park DVD, there's like a little Universal prelude or it was like a little montage of movies. Mm-hmm. I just brought it up because I want to watch it when we cut on this. Um, but this, you know, success. The Steven Summers gets a call the Sunday of opening weekend and they say, we want a sequel in two years. So he goes right into making The Mummy Returns. Um, almost 10 years later, they make a Mummy 3, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. This movie has spawned a spinoff franchise, The Scorpion King, with five installments. There's an animated TV show. And then 20 years later, a reboot starring Tom Cruise finally getting his shot, which explodes in disastrous fashion. <laughs> There's also a theme park ride of this movie. Which I've been on. I've heard it is very good, but I've it's never ridden it. Good time. It's a great ride. Everyone tells me it's like the best roller coaster. It is a really good roller coaster. Hmm. The best? No. Nah, but And then Brendan Fraser pops up at the end. He's like, you killed a mummy. Yeah. Uh, but that's all I have in terms of post-sex. For Fraser, like we said at the beginning, this is the movie that shoots him off. From this point on, he is A-list, tried and true. Mm. And he's going to go on in the next few years to solidify that with a mix of, um, you know, he jumps right into The Mummy Returns, but he'll also be doing some movies like Bedazzled, Dudley Do-Right, Monkey Bone, Quiet American, um, eventually Looney Tunes. Um, general movies that continue his string of success at this time. And so I'm excited to delve more into that period of his life and yeah. his career. Stuart, any final thoughts on The Mummy no i don't think so i it's just a childhood staple of mine yeah. that i will i watch at least like once a year i think we had a, a long conversation i feel like we probably encapsulated most of your nice thoughts becca do you have any final thoughts on the mummy i liked it a little less on this rewatch but it definitely has the nostalgia factor that has me going back every time mm-hmm. a couple other factors mm-hmm. a couple of, a couple of factors a couple, couple of, of factors, factors. I'm thinking of two factors. Um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode on The Mummy, guys. Yeah. Uh, please uh, remember to rate, subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we all have on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Pop to our Reddit, r slash Travolting. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at TravoltingPod. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff W. Sweeney. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at StuartL185. Anything you want to plug, Becca? Uh, you can find me at Becca Lynn Artist on Instagram. Hell yeah. And as always, special thanks to Rebecca Johnson for our gra- uh, graphic design. Yeah. Michael Van Modigan Smith for our theme music. And uh, Ange Gardner for our social media. Make sure to tune in next week for our episode on Dudley Do Right, a equally robust conversation. We'll do you right by this one, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs>